Welcome to Time Travelling Tea, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor, Sarah Jane and Harry, as they are sent on a mission by the Time Lords to prevent the genesis of the Daleks. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story. So, to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddy, time for a six-parter, over to you. Okay, get into my happy place. <laughs> get into... <laughs> right, part one. In a mist-shrouded no-man's land, a group of gas-mask-wearing soldiers are mown down by machine gun fire as they attempt to cross the battlefield. Moments later, a confused doctor appears and tries to get his bearings, and a shot from another Time Lord appears out of the mist. The doctor begins to berate him for his abduction and tells him he will not tolerate any more interference in his life. The Time Lord tells him that he has the freedom to roam the universe by their leave, and in return, they are free to ask him to help them. He then tells the doctor that the Time Lords want him to go back in time to Scarrow before the Daleks were created, and either prevent their creation or alter their evolution to prevent them from becoming the most powerful force in the galaxy. The Doctor re-agrees and the Timeline reveals that they are already on Scarrow. He then gives him a time ring which will return him to the TARDIS once his mission is accomplished. The Timeline disappears and the Doctor goes to find Harry and Sarah Jane, finding them a few moments later. Their reunion is interrupted by a barrage of artillery fire and they take cover as the shells land around them. After the barrage stops, Sarah Jane points out the body of one of several of the gas mask wearing soldiers and they go to investigate it. Doctor notices the strange discrepancy in the soldiers' weaponry, with some of them having breech-loading weapons, whereas others have blaster rifles. They see other inconsistencies in the uniforms of the men, and the Doctor theorizes that due to the ongoing war on the planet, each side is using whatever equipment they can get their hands on. The Doctor then leads them across the silent battlefield, but after a few moments, the Doctor discovers that they have wandered into a minefield. The Doctor tells them to be careful, and as they make their way through, the Doctor says he thinks they are being watched. He suddenly comes to a stop and tells Harry that he has stepped on a mine. Harry sees that he hasn't stepped on the trigger, but it is very unstable. The Doctor tells him to move away, but Harry braces the mine with loose rocks, and the Doctor is safely able to step off it, allowing them to move on. Unbeknownst to them, they are being watched by a cloaked figure. They see a large dome in the distance and make their way towards it, as the Doctor says it is most likely the protective shield for a city. When they arrive at it, they discover it surrounded by a network of trenches, with dead bodies propped up to give the illusion that they are fully manned. Harry says the uniforms are different from the ones of the bodies that they saw earlier, and the Doctor says that they must have crossed the battle lines. Sarah Jane finds a metal door that leads into a large structure, but it is locked, and the Doctor leads them further along the trench. Before they go too far, the trench comes under a gas attack, and the trio scramble to put on the gas masks from the dead soldiers. A group of soldiers dressed similarly to the ones in the No Man's Land attack the trench and nearly kill the trio, beating them to the ground, but suddenly a group of men appear from the doorway and shoot the attackers. They bring the Doctor and Harry inside, but Sarah Jane is left outside as they mistakenly believe her to be dead. Inside, the captain of the men tells his soldiers that the Doctor and Harry don't look like Thals, and he takes them to his superior, General Raven, for questioning. Raven sends the captain back to his section, angrily telling him to conserve his ammunition due to the low supplies when the captain requests more. Raven refers to the Doctor and Harry as mutuals and says that the Thals must be desperate if they are using them. He then orders them to empty their pockets, and as he does so, the Doctor notices a large battle map on the table, and Raven says pretty soon they would have wiped out the Thals. The Doctor comments on the use of the men that he has seen so far, as well as the low supplies they have, but Raven fanatically says that soon his people, the Khalids, will be victorious and exterminate their enemies. The Doctor uses a pointing stick from the table to disarm the unprepared Raven, 
and gives his gun to Harry. He uses it to disarm the guard in the room. The doctor realizes that Khaled's is an anagram of Daleks and then forces Raven to lead him and Harry back to the no man's land. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane wakes up and tries to get into the structure but finds the door securely locked. She looks around for a weapon to arm herself but finds that they are all empty and so she makes her way from the trench. As they make their way down the tunnels to the exit, Raven continually refers to the Doctor and Harry as mutos, saying that they are the only beings capable of living out in the no man's land. They suddenly hear someone coming and Harry holds the gun on Raven to force him to play along. Three more Khalids appear, one of them a stern looking man wearing glasses who Raven greets as Nider, the security commander of the base. Nider demands to speak to Raven but Raven tells him to wait in his office. Suspicious, Nider leads his men away, but suddenly tells Raven to get down as his men open fire on the Doctor and Harry, who flee the area. Nider then sends out a security alert, and he berates Raven for being captured. The Doctor and Harry manage to escape the base and make their way back down to the no man's land, but they are pursued by a squad of soldiers. However, they are soon recaptured after Harry accidentally sets off a trip mine, which thankfully doesn't injure him. They are brought back to Nider, who is examining the random bits and pieces that the Doctor took out of his pocket earlier. He asks about their origin and they say that they are from Earth. Nider refutes the idea, saying that their chief scientist Davros has said that life cannot live on other planets and that he is never wrong. The Doctor jokingly praises Davros' apparent infallibility and then asks what mutos are. Nider says that they are the victims of the chemical weapons that were used in the early centuries of the war and that they were banished to the outside world in order to keep the Kala gene pool pure. Nider says that he will take them to somewhere called the Bunker and gives Raven a list of equipment he also needs. Raven starts to object, but Nider says that the order is sounded by Davros, and the young general reluctantly agrees. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane makes her way through the wastelands, but she spots that she is being followed by several cloaked figures. She eventually comes across an abandoned building where she discovers a man setting up a series of targets. Sarah Jane also sees another shriveled-faced man in a motorized wheelchair that is reminiscent to the lower half of a Dalek shell. The man finishes setting up the targets and goes to the man in the wheelchair, addressing him as Davros, and tells him that the test is ready. Davros moves further into the light, and Sarah Jane sees that his eyes are sealed shut and that he is wearing a headpiece with a blue optical lens in the middle of it. Davros then uses his one good arm to use the control panel in his wheelchair to summon a Dalek. The Dalek appears and fires at the targets, destroying them all, and Davros says in a voice reminiscent of a Dalek's that the test was a success. Part 2 Davros tells his colleague Garmin to follow him, and together they leave with the Dalek. Sarah Jane comes out of hiding but is immediately swarmed by a pair of cloaked figures. She passes out from the attack and one of them comments on her beauty and untainted appearance. The other figure says that she is a norm and must be killed in accordance with the Muto law. He pulls a knife to kill Sarah Jane and the two Mutos struggle. They suddenly stop when they hear someone approach and one of the Mutos tries to escape but is killed by a squad of Thal soldiers. The Thals find Sarah Jane and the other Muto and they prepare to kill them but change their minds when they see that they could be used to help load their ballistic rockets. Sarah Jane is still dazed and the Muto offers to carry her to the Thal base rather than let her be killed as a hindrance. At the Khaled bunker, Nider arrives with the Doctor and Harry and orders them to be sent for interrogation. After Nider leaves, the Doctor asks for some refreshments but the security guard threatens to kill him if they don't follow his instructions and he sends them through a power scanner. The scanner detects the energy from the time ring on the Doctor's arm and it is confiscated from him. The Doctor quietly tells Harry that the time ring is the only way to get back to the TARDIS. The guard tells him that they are to be sent to the chief researcher, Ronson, for questioning and they are escorted to his lab along with their confiscated equipment. Ronson tells him to sit down and ask the Doctor about the pieces of confiscated equipment. 
He, like Nider, also refutes the doctor's claims that they are aliens, but he is shocked when he sees the results of the biological scan that was taken of them. The doctor smiles at his amazement, and Ronson asks who they are. As the doctor begins to explain, an alarm goes off, and Ronson and the other scientists in the lab all stand to attention. An announcement is made that Davros wants all members of the elite scientific corps to assemble immediately, and Ronson tells the doctor and Harry to keep quiet, as Davros and Garman enter the lab. Davros informs everyone that he's been working on a project, and he wants to show them the outcome, summoning the Dalek into the room. The Doctor tells Harry what it is, but Ronson overhearing them says that it is a Mark III travel machine. The assembled scientists are impressed by it, and Davros switches it over to independent control. The Dalek spots the Doctor and Harry and prepares to kill them, recognising that they are not Khaled, but Ronson intervenes. Davros hysterically says that he will be punished for his interference, but Ronson begs for time to interrogate them before they are killed. Davros agrees to let him question them for a few hours and then leaves. The Doctor thanks Ronson for saving them, but the scientist tells him to cooperate, otherwise they will be most certainly killed immediately. Meanwhile, in the Thal city, Sarah Jane and the Muto, whose name is Severin, are amongst a group of other prisoners being guarded by men in hazmat suits. Sarah Jane wonders what they are being kept for, and one of the prisoners, who is the Khaled captain that captured Harry and the Doctor, says that they are being used as slave labour to load a doomsday rocket, which he says will be used to destroy the Khaled city. He tells them in order to increase the amount of explosives that can be loaded into the rocket, it is being loaded in its unrefined form, which will most likely subject them to deadly radiation sickness called dystrotic toxemia. Sarah Jane says that they will need to think of a way to escape, but before they can do anything, they are forced to start loading the rocket. As they begin to work, Sarah Jane notices a large scaffolding holding the rocket in place. The explosives are brought in to be loaded, and Sarah Jane notices the radiation meter on the wall increase rapidly. Back in the bunker, the doctor is returned from his questioning and informs Harry of what he has learned. He says that the bunker they are in, which is several miles away from the Khaled city, is the research centre for the elite of Khaled's scientists. He says that over the years the group has become increasingly powerful and the government now answers to them instead. Ronson then arrives and apologises to the doctor for his rough treatment and then asks him how he knew Davros would call the travel machine a Dalek. The Doctor tells him the truth about being a time traveller, and Ronson admits that he and several other members of the Elite have become fearful of the route Davros has taken their experiments. He says that as a result of the mutations caused by the chemical weapons used during the war, Davros began experimenting to see what the final mutational form of the Khalids would be. He then takes them to an incubation chamber and shows them the creatures that were created as a result of the experiments. The Doctor and Harry look into the room of tentacled creatures that the Khalids are destined to become. Ronson then returns them to their cell and says that Davros has created the travel machine to house the Daleks, but is now turning it into a weapon. The Doctor tells Ronson to go to anyone in the government that can put a stop to it, but he says that he isn't allowed to leave. The Doctor and Harry offer to go instead, and Ronson tells them how to escape, but he warns them that the tunnels they would have to go through are now populated by the abandoned results of Davros's early experiments on animals. Back at the Thal city, Sarah Jane and the others are returned to their cells for a rest period. She says they need to escape now, otherwise they will be too weak to do anything later. The Khaled captain says that the only exits are patrolled by Tal troops, but Sarah Jane suggests climbing the scaffolding to the top of the rocket silo so they can escape to the surface. Faced with a slow death, the others agree to her plan. Sarah Jane distracts the guard and the Khaled captain knocks him out and all the prisoners flee to the scaffolding and begin to climb it. Suddenly the alarm goes off and a group of Tals rush in and begin to shoot at the prisoners. The Khaled captain is hit and plummets to the ground, and Sarah Jane freezes in fear, but Severin urges her to keep going. As she starts to climb again, she loses her footing and falls from the scaffolding. Part 3 
Sarah Jane lands on a gangplank across the scaffolding, and Severin goes on to collect her, helping her climb back to the top as they are pursued by the Thals. They reach the top of the scaffolding, but in order to escape, they have to jump across the gap between it and the rocket. Severin jumps first, and after some hesitation, Sarah Jane follows him, but they are caught by the Thals before they can escape. As she is crossing back, one of the Thals deliberately trips her and holds her over the edge of the rocket, threatening to let her drop unless she goes back to work. In the caves with the Khaled bunker, the Doctor and Harry carefully make their way through the tunnels. Harry accidentally steps inside a sh- large shell, which begins to close on his leg. The Doctor tries to pry it open and breaks off a piece of nearby stalactite to free Harry from its grip. As they move on, Harry reminds the Doctor that they need to find Sarah Jane, and the Doctor says that they will once they have met the Khaled leaders. In the bunker, Davros orders the scientists to work on improving the Dalek sensors so that they can work at peak efficiency. As Ronson works at his station, another scientist named Cavill asks him if Davros is aware of the Doctor and Harry's escape. Ronson, unsure of whether or not to trust him, says that they are still in their cell. Cavill says that he is on Ronson's side and reveals that he has received word that they have arrived at the Khaled city. Ronson says he hopes that they can convince the government to stop Davros. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by neither. In the Khaled city, the Doctor and Harry address a group of government officials and General Raven, telling them that of what Davros is doing and what the Daleks will do in the future. The officials adjourn to discuss what to do based on the information given by the Doctor. The senior minister, Mogren, says that they have agreed to form an independent tribunal to investigate the work going on at the bunker, and in the meantime, Davros's experiments will be suspended. The Doctor isn't too happy with the decision reached, but Mogren promises that if the information he, he provided them is correct, then Davros will be imprisoned. He and the other ministers go to inform Davros of their decision, and Harry says that they should start to look for Sarah Jane. Raven informs him that his spies sent word back of the attempted breakout at the Thal base, which he says was led by a woman. He tells them of the Thal's rocket, but says that it won't breach the protective dome above the Khaled city due to an experimental substance Davros has used to strengthen it. The Doctor asks Raven for help in getting into the Thal city, and he goes to get them a map. Meanwhile, Nider informs Davros of the meeting going on in the city, and says the Doctor and Harry were spotted by there by one of their spies. Davros tells him not to take any action against Ronson at the moment, saying that he will deal with him later. He then orders Nider to find out how they escaped. Later, Mogren and the other ministers arrive to meet with Davros, who welcomes the investigation so the Khaled people can see the work that is being done for them. Davros asks for time to be able to shut down the experiments currently being done, and Mogren gives him 12 hours to do so. The ministers then leave, and after they go, Nider angrily states that the investigation can't be allowed. Davros informs him that it doesn't matter as he intends to kill all of them, as well as the rest of the Khaled race, so only the scientific elite in the bunker and the Daleks themselves can survive. He orders Nider to put the Dalek creatures into their machines, but Nider warns him that they are still behaving erratically. Davros says he will maintain control over them. In the Thal city, the Doctor and Harry successfully manage to sneak in, and as they wander the corridors, they come across a room and are amazed to see Davros and Nider meeting with the Thal leaders inside it. They listen as Davros says that he has come to them so he can end the war, telling them that his own government has refused to call for a ceasefire. The Thal leaders tell him about the rocket that they will fire at the Khaled Dome, but Davros says that it won't work. As a sign of his sincerity, he gives them a chemical formula so that they can use it to bombard the protective dome, making it weak enough for the rocket to break through. The Thal leaders take a few moments to consider their proposal, and agree to use the formula so that they can successfully wipe out the Khalids. They then lead Davros and Nider away so that they can go back to the bunker. Harry says that they will need to warn Mogren, but the Doctor says they need to find Sarah Jane first.
They find a pair of guards wearing hazmat suits and knock them out and so they can take their clothes. In the rocket silo, Sergeant and the other prisoners are assembled under guard. She wonders why the guards are keeping them there and Severin says they will save the pal's ammunition as they will die from the rocket blast off. They watch as two more guards come in who then knock out the other guard before revealing themselves to be the Doctor and Harry. Sergeant happily reunites with them but says they need to leave before the rocket launches. The Doctor tells her and Harry to go back to the Khaled city to inform them of Davros's treachery and Sergeant brings Severin with them. The Doctor tells the other prisoners to flee whilst he stays behind to try and sabotage the rocket. Sarah Jane, Harry and Severin manage to get into the tunnel back to the Khaled city, but they are pursued by the Thal guards who shoot at them as they flee. In the rocket silo, the knocked out guard regains consciousness and presses a button at the base of the rocket launch pad that electrocutes the doctor as he touches the scaffolding. Part 4 The doctor wakes up in the Thal control room and watches through a view screen as the Khaled dome falls apart under the chemical barrage. The Thal leaders then order the rocket to be launched and the doctor tries to stop them but he is still too weak. He then mournfully laments the loss of Sarah Jane and Harry, blaming himself for having sent them to the Khaled city. In the bunker, Davros and the rest of the elite watch the rocket destroy the city through a monitor as well. Cavill is horrified at the destruction and the death of their people and wonders how the Thals could have found a way to destroy the dome. Neither says that they were betrayed by someone within the elite and Davros says that they will get revenge against whoever is responsible. He summons a squad of Daleks into the room and orders them to kill Ronson, naming him as the traitor. He then informs the rest of the assembled scientists that the Daleks will forge a new empire from the ashes of the Khaled race and they will be the ultimate rulers of the universe. In the Tal city, the leaders declare the war has ended and they must celebrate. They decree that all prisoners are to be given amnesty and they then leave to organise the celebrations. After they go, a Tal woman named Batan comforts the doctor over the loss of his friends. He says that he needs to find a way to stop Davros and the creation of the Daleks, informing a surprised Batan of the mad scientist's betrayal of his own people. Betton says the leaders won't believe him as they think Davros is a hero and then says he is free to leave. In the bunker, Davros gives Garmin instructions to alter the chromosomal makeup of the embryonic Daleks in the incubation chamber. Garmin notes that the alterations will leave the Daleks devoid of any form of pity or morality, but Davros tells him to carry out the orders. Nether then comes in and says that the Daleks are ready to follow their orders and Davros tells him to commence their operation. He then issues a decree that all other projects are to be stopped and all efforts to be put towards the building of the Dalek force. In the Thal city, squads of Daleks start attacking the celebrating Thals, slaughtering hundreds of them. The Doctor catches Batan as she flees from the massacre and takes her into hiding. He says he needs to get out of the city and she leads him to the outside trenches. The Doctor tells Batan to try and find any survivors that she can and prepare them for an assault on the bunker, saying it's the only way that they can stop the Daleks. The Doctor makes his way through the wasteland to the secret cave to the bunker, but he's attacked by a group of mutos. Just as they are about to kill him, Sarah Jane, Harry and Severin appear and drive the mutos away. The Doctor enthusiastically greets his friends and asks them how they survived. Harry explains that they were attacked by a group of mutos en route to the city, but they fled when the rocket hit the city. Harry says that they figured that the Doctor would try and get back into the bunker, so they waited at the cave for him. The Doctor explains to a curious Sarah Jane that they need to get the time ring from the bunker as is their only way back to the TARDIS. They make their way to the cave, but the Doctor sends Severn to find Betton and take any of his people that are willing to join her resistance group. Sarah Jane thanks Severn for his help and he then leaves. The trio then enter the cave with the Doctor telling them to be careful of the creatures inside it. They come across a group of the shell creatures that Harry had earlier encountered, but they successfully manage to avoid them. 
They come to the entrance of the tunnel into the bunker room, and Harry goes first. Sarah Jane comments that there could be something waiting for them, but the doctor, in a bit of gallows humour, says they better not tell Harry. In the bunker, Garman calls Cavill over to his desk and quietly says they need to stop Davros, but Cavill is reluctant to get involved after watching the death of Ronson. Garman says that Davros's plan is evil and it needs to be stopped. He tells Cavill that if all the elite scientific corps refuses to work on the project, then Davros will have no choice but to agree to their terms. Unbeknownst to them, Nider has heard everything they said, and after Cavill leaves, he goes to speak to Garman. Nider talks to him and says that he needs to speak to him in private, saying that he has grown concerned about Davros's growing megalomania. Garman agrees to meet him in private in the detention block. Nider goes first, and after a few minutes, Garman follows him, so not to arouse suspicion. In the detention block, Garman informs Nider of the plan to present Davros with an ultimatum, saying that unless he agrees to instill empathy and morality into the Daleks, they will destroy the work that has been done so far. Nider agrees to try and sway some of the security forces to their side, and then asks for the name of the others that support Garman. Nider then thanks him for the information, and Davros emerges from the shadows. Realising that he has been betrayed, Garman tries to flee, but Nider knocks him out. Davros says that Garman and those that he named will be subjected to brain surgery in order to remove their emotional centres so they can continue to contribute their scientific skills. He then orders Nider to lock up Garman and then continue to find out who else is against them. They suddenly hear a banging sound and Nider says that someone is in the ventilation shafts. They follow the sound and then capture the doctor and the others as they appear out of the shaft. The doctor is taken away to a separate room and strapped into a strange machine. Davros then questions why the doctor has come from the future. The doctor informs him of the devastation and carnage that the Daleks are responsible for in the future, a fact which seems to impress their creator. The doctor urges him to instead make the Daleks a force for good in the universe, but Davros instead asks him how successful they are in their conquests. The doctor says that even though that they have become the ultimate weapons of war, they have been beaten. Davros demands to know how they are defeated, but the doctor refuses to tell him. Davros orders Nider to bring Sarah Jane and Harry into the room, and he then hooks them up to a pair of machines. He tells the Doctor that unless he reveals the causes for every Dalek defeat, he will torture Sarah Jane and Harry, who tell him not to reveal anything. The Doctor says he cannot betray the future, but Davros hysterically demands to know the information. Part 5 Davros starts to torture Sarah Jane and Harry, but despite their protests, the Doctor says he will give Davros the information he seeks. He recounts the various defeats of the Daleks, and Davros records them on tape so they can be programmed into the Daleks' memory banks. He then calls a halt for a while and tells Nider to take Sarah Jane and Harry to the detention cells, but tells the doctor to stay so they can talk, scientist to scientist. He gives Nider the tapes for safekeeping, and after they leave, the doctor laments his betrayal of the future. He again begs Davros to change the conditioning of the Daleks, but Davros says that they will become the dominant species and ensure peace through the outer universe by conquering it. The doctor tries to convince him by using an analogy of having control over a lethal virus, but Davros shows his megalomania by saying that he would have the power of a god. The doctor dashes forward and seizes Davros's one good arm and tampers with his life support system on his chair. He tells Davros to order the destruction of the Daleks or he will turn off the system permanently. Reluctantly, Davros gives the order, but neither returns and knocks out the doctor and Davros then hurriedly rescinds the order. He orders the doctor to be locked up and then asks what the status with the conspirators is. Nider says that the conspirators now outnumber the loyalists, and he asks to be allowed to kill them, but Davros says that he has something else planned to crush any spirit of defiance. In the cells, Sergeant and Harry meet Garman, who tell him about the attempted coup against Davros. 
He expresses surprise that Davos hasn't made a move against the conspirators, as the longer he waits, the more people will turn against him. Outside the cells, Cavill tries to gain access, but when the guard turns him away, he lashes out with a kosh and knocks him out. In the Tal city, the Daleks continue to hunt down the Tals, but Davros calls him back to the bunker. Their retreat is observed by Severin, who returns to Betton's resistance group and tells him what he has seen. Betton says that he can't wait any longer to attack the bunker, and the small group, excluding the Mutos, who refuse to join them, make their way carefully to the bunker. Neither brings the Doctor to the cells, and is momentarily surprised when Harry appears in the guard's uniform, but he throws the Doctor at him and escapes. Garmin tells Cavill to gather the rest of the conspirators to capture Davros, but the Doctor warns him that Davros has something planned for them. Garmin says that they still need to make a move, and he and Cavill leave. The Doctor says they need to get the time ring, but they also need to get the tapes so that the Daleks can't use them. Garmin and a few of his men attack the armory, but despite Garmin's wishes, one of the guards is killed. He orders the remaining guard to be locked up, whilst he starts distributing the weapons. Cavill appears and tells him that the majority of the military and scientific elite have now joined their cause, and the remaining loyalists have all been locked up. Garmin then leads him to the main laboratory to confront Davros, who at that moment is being brought up to speed on events by Nidor. He again begs Leap to take the remaining men and kill the conspirators, but Davros instead orders him to surrender and send word that he will listen to their demands, tricking them into a false sense of security. Meanwhile, the Doctor and the others arrive at the armory, and after raiding it for clothing for Sarah Jane, the Doctor comes across a set of explosives. He tells him that he intends to destroy the incubation chamber and all the Daleks in it. Neither leads Garmin, Cavill and the other leaders to the lab where they give their demands to Davros. He says that Davros is to stop working on the Daleks with the existing ones to be destroyed and instead help them in rebuilding Khaled's society. If he refuses, then he will be imprisoned and a new leader will be picked. Davros asks for time to consider and after a few moments, he agrees but asks that he be allowed to plead his case in front of all the elite corps, saying that he will abide by their decision in the end. Garmin agrees, thinking that the outcome is a foregone conclusion, and Davros says that they will meet again in an hour. Once they are gone, Davros confides to Nider that they have sealed their doom. Outside the incubation chamber, the Doctor tells Harry to rig up a detonator whilst he places the explosives inside. Sergeant voices her concern about him going in, but he says that the embryonic Daleks shouldn't be too much of a threat at this stage of their development. After a while, Sergeant starts to worry about how long he is gone, and despite trying to reassure her, Harry also grows concerned. The Doctor suddenly staggers from the chamber, struggling against the Dalek wrapped around his neck, trying to strangle him to death. Part 6 Sergeant and Harry rush to help the Doctor, managing to get the Dalek off him and throwing it back into the incubation chamber. The Doctor then takes the wires to detonate the explosives, but then pauses, asking if he has the right to commit genocide against them. Sarah Jane says that he shouldn't doubt his course of action, but he points out the progress and alliances that will be lost if the Daleks aren't present to pose a threat. He gives them a hypothetical scenario, and asks them if they were told the child would grow up to be a ruthless dictator and murderer, could they kill it? Sarah Jane dodges the question by again saying that Daleks should be destroyed. The Doctor continues to hesitate, saying that if he goes through with it, then he would be no better than the Daleks. Garmin suddenly appears and tells him about the talk with Davros, and the Doctor thanks him for his timely arrival. They make their way to the lab, and the Doctor sabotages the detonation wires as they leave. At the lab, Davros makes his case, and as he does so, the Doctor and the others collect their confiscated items, but they notice the time ring is missing. Meanwhile, Davros tells the assembled scientists that he only intended for their race to survive, and shows them a detonator button, saying that if they press it, then all Daleks will be destroyed. 
None of the conspirators make a move, and he berates them for their lack of conviction. The conspirators then discuss Davros's case amongst themselves, but while they are doing this, neither whispers something to Davros. Garmin then addresses the assembly with his intention to restructure the growth of the Daleks. Davros then calls for a brief interlude so everyone can decide. Sergei manages to locate the time ring, and the Doctor says they need to go find the tapes next. Meanwhile, the Daleks return to the bunker, followed discreetly by Severin, Betton, and their resistance group. After the Daleks enter the bunker, Betton orders her men to start setting up explosives around the entrance in an effort to seal the Daleks inside. Severin says they need to give the Doctor and the others time to escape, but Betton says that she can't delay for too long, and gives them 30 minutes to find them and get them out. Inside the bunker, a vote is called for, and a handful of conspirators join Davros. The Doctor notices neither leaving, and so they go follow him. They manage to apprehend him, unknowingly dropping the time ring in the process, and ask him where he is going. He says he was trying to escape, but Sarah Jane asks why he didn't just join the conspirators. They force him to bring him to the tapes, which he says are in Davros's office. Once there, neither says that only Davros can open it, but the Doctor points out that it would be too high for Davros to reach. Nider reluctantly opens the safe, and Sarah Jane takes a nearby prototype Dalek gun to give to the Doctor to destroy the tapes in a bit of poetic justice. Nider uses the distraction to flee, and locks them inside, but the Doctor says they can leave now, but he discovers the time ring is missing. He tries using the sonic screwdriver to open the door, but to no avail. Sarah Jane then activates a security monitor that lets them see the events in the lab. They watch as Davros opens the doors and squads of Daleks enter, killing all the conspirators. Suddenly, Severin opens the door to the office and lets them out, telling them about Betton's plan. The Doctor says they need to find the time ring first, but after they find it, they find their progress hampered by Daleks. The Doctor gives the time ring to Sarah Jane and tells Severin to take her and Harry to the entrance, telling them that he will go back and destroy the incubation chamber. Meanwhile, Nider returns to the lab and informs Davros of the Doctor's escape, and Davros orders the Daleks to find them and kill them. At the incubation chamber, the Doctor repairs the detonation wires, but before he can activate it, a Dalek enters the corridor and fires at him, forcing him to take cover. The Dalek advances on him, but accidentally completes the detonation circuit when it rolls over the wires and blows up the incubation chamber. The explosion is heard at the entrance, where Sarah Jane begs Betton to give the Doctor a few more minutes to escape. One of Betton's men calls him over to a monitor, which shows him the lab, and they hear Davros order a squad of Daleks to the main entrance. Betton says they can't wait any longer and orders the charges to be blown. However, Sarah Jane says that she can see the Doctor coming, chased by Daleks. He gets through the entrance with moments to spare and the charges are blown, sealing off the bunker. He then goes over to the monitor to view the events in the lab. In the lab, Davros notices that the Dalek production line has started, but says that he gave no such order. One of the Daleks says that it gave the order, but Davros says that it will follow only his commands. The Dalek refuses to stop the production line, and it kills Nider when Davros tells him to stop it. Davros says that he is their master, but the Dalek retorts that their programming doesn't let them recognise any creature as their superior. Davros says that they need him to progress, but again the Dalek says that their programming will allow them to adapt and survive. The explosion at the entrance is reported to the Dalek. He then orders the remaining scientists to be killed due to their inferior status, and Davros begs them to have pity on them. The Dalek replies that there is no concept of the word, and the scientists are killed. Our terror-stricken Davros insists that they obey him, and he futilely reaches for the destructor button, but the Daleks kill him. The Dalek then turns to the others and says that their entombment is only a minor setback, and they will eventually emerge as the supreme beings of the universe. At the entrance, the Doctor and the others say their goodbyes to Severin and Betan. 
The doctor says that he was only able to delay the Daleks' advancement by about a thousand years, but Sarah Jane says that he doesn't seem too disappointed. As the time ring begins to transport them back to the TARDIS, the doctor explains that from the evil of the Daleks, good will rise to fight them. End of the story. Very good. Thank you. And I said this to Trish during the week, but I was so pissed off because I made a Genesis joke last week. Yes. There's a there's a Genesis song called I was it I think it's I can't walk, mm. and the lyric is I was it I can't dance, I can't walk. The only thing about me is the way I talk. Mm. Oh no, what the fuck is no. I got it. Sorry. It's I can't sing. I can't talk. The only thing about me is the way I walk. That's the lyric. And I was <laughs> fucking pissed off because it would have suited Davros right down to the ground if it was like, I can't dance and I can't walk. The only thing about me is the way I talk. <laughs> Fuck you, Phil Collins. So now that that's the story recapped and my little Phil Collins rant out of the way, which <laughs> we're going to go over to the trivia spot. You did message me during the week being like, fuck you, Phil Collins. I'm like, yeah. what did he do to you? <laughs> what has Phil Collins done for anyone? Bar producing really good music and soundtracks throughout yeah. the years. <laughs> okay, let's talk Genesis of the Daleks, though. The air date for the story is the 8th of March, the 12th of April, 1975. The writer is Terry Nation, father of the Daleks. This is story number eight for Terry. His previous stories were the Daleks, the Keys of Marinus, the Dalek Invasion of Earth, the Chase, Mission to the Unknown, the Daleks Master Plan, Planet of the Daleks, and Death of the Daleks. We have two more stories left to go from Terry. Those will be the Android Invasion and Destiny of the Daleks. The director of this story is David Maloney. This is story number five for David. His previous stories were The Mind Robber, The Crotons, The War Games, and Planet of the Daleks. We'll see his work again in Planet of Evil, The Deadly Assassin, and The Talons of Wang Shan. So the TARDIS once again does not appear in this story. This is something that will not happen again until midnight in 2008, which is way, way, way far away. That's... Christ almighty. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way away. And like, it's actually a brief segue. So mm. officially now, if we're including Shadow, which we said we would, mm. we are halfway through the classic era. Mm. Yeah, uh, there was 155 stories, including the movie. Now it's 156. Mm. So yeah, we're halfway through the classic era. <laughs> And I remember, like, I was going to, oh, I'll do all the statistics in terms of, like, you know, we're X amount true episode and then X amount true, you know, overall stories. Like, ah, oh, fuck, I can't be honest. No, you have to work <laughs> um, yeah. An interesting thing about this story as well is not only is it the last story where the TARDIS doesn't appear at all until we hit midnight, um, but it's also the only time where we have two consecutive stories where the TARDIS doesn't appear. Could be no TARDIS last week either. No, we didn't. In Nope. Working titles for the story included Genesis of Terror and Daleks, Genesis of Terror, which mm. just reminds me of Daleks 2150 AD or whatever the fuck you call that. <laughs> thing. Uh, Paul would be um, so upset. It's all John. <laughs> if you had seen uh, the original footage from Galaxy 4, you may recognize the guns that some of the Thals were using. There were also the guns used by the Dravens in that story. Those, those guns did look familiar. Mm-hmm. I thought they looked like the guns that the um, 
the warlords uh, people used in war games. Mm, I similar, don't remember details like that. So yes, similar, <laughs> similar enough design, I think. You also, if you have a look in the cave where you see like uh, Davros's previous experiments, it's also part of an ice warrior costume just being leveraged for something. Yeah, I, I was yeah like that. That lid looked familiar. The opening scene where we have that amazing sort of slow motion wartime yeah. opening. That wasn't actually written by Terry. Uh, David Maloney wrote that himself. Um, Terry felt it was too violent for young children. And Mary Whitehouse agreed. Of course That it was way too violent. I do kind of agree to some extent. It's not, I mean, obviously it's Doctor Who, so there's no blood to be seen. But um, it is quite... Graphic like, in its own like, way. like it, it's kind of a strange thing, right? Because last week you and I really realized the horrific ramifications of the Suntaran experiment, mm. and like that, in a way, I think is a lot like no, doubt this is me as an older person mm. realizing this. That's a lot more psychologically damaging than that opening scene, I think. Yeah, I think the difference with Santarin is that other than him shooting someone, we never, which which happens once. Yeah. We never see him. There's no depiction of it. It's just d- all. D- you know, we don't see him drowning someone or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of the other deaths caused by him sort of happen off screen. Mm. Uh, whereas in this, we actually see people running through quarries getting shot. Um, yeah. And it is, it is presented as this is a war and mm. all that kind of stuff. Again, it could have been a lot worse. I think for modern day storytelling, people probably wouldn't really mind that much. No, it's incredibly tame. But I suppose yeah, if you have to kind of cast your mind back to to the seventies like, and stuff, then. But like I see, this is the era that really gets the Mary Whitehouse seal of disapproval, I suppose. Mm. But to me, like we've seen scenes of equal you know, violence hmm. during the Pertwee era. True. I think David does an amazing job filming that sequence. Yeah, oh, it's, that it, ha- it hits differently, I think. The, the slow, mo- like, to des- so to describe it, as I say, like, it's sh- uh, fog-shrouded battlefield, the guys get up and they walk, and then you hear the machine gun fire, and it's just a slow motion, almost like that scene in Platoon, where the hmm. guy just, like, throws his hands up to the sky and collapses to the floor. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's the implication of the horror of, you know, yeah. the wave after wave of men being mown down, you know? Yeah. So according to Barry Letts, um, how this story came to be is when he was producer, he basically asked Terry for another Dalek story. And Terry wrote a story that was pretty much Death of the Daleks and Planet of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Which he'd already done. Yeah. So, Barry was the one who said, look, you know, maybe explore the genesis of the Daleks, where they came from. Um, Thus, giving Terry the idea and the title that we have for this story itself. Michael Wisher is Davros in this story. We'll talk a little bit more about his uh, previous appearances in Doctor Who in a little bit. But in order to play Davros, he had to wear a kilt and knee pads in order for him to be able to move Davros's little chair bumper car thing mm. around because wearing trousers made it very difficult to steer so you had mm. to wear a kilt with knee pads during rehearsals like elizabeth sladen described this on the 
the behind the scenes of Journey's End from the end of uh, series four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard her describe it in, in person as well. Michael Wisher would sit in a wheelchair with a paper bag over his head that only had slits cut out for eyes. So he'd get used to the fact that he'd be somewhat separated from everyone else. And the fact that obviously his prosthetic would be very disorientating. It would be very difficult for him to mm-hmm. act in that prosthetic. So he prepared wearing a paper bag. He was also a heavy smoker. So he put two holes in the top of the bag. <laughs> so he could smoke underneath. And like this was Lane described how like during rehearsals you just see the smoke just billowing out of his bag as he was having a cigarette. Oh, that's good. So this story marks the only on-screen appearance of the Khalids other than Davros in the classic era. Hmm. We don't see any more Khalids in the classic era of the show. And this is the final six-part story not to be a season finale. So because the show was criticized for being extensively long, obviously they broke up and had a lot more four-parters and stuff like that. But apparently from this point onwards, and I can't validate this, but the wiki had this, so I'm going to assume they're correct. Every six-parter after this is going to be a season finale. Yes, as far as I'm aware. So, Tom Tom's tenure is the end of the six is the six-parters. There's no mm. more six-parters after, uh, unless you want to count uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's after his penultimate season. Hmm. Yeah, no more uh, six-parters. Roy Skelton, who's done a lot of Dalek voices in Mm -hmm. the past, was also offered the role of Davros, but he turned it down because he was busy with Rainbow at the time. Tom Baker said that this was his favourite serial, Mm -hmm. um, and Terry thought that it was the best script he wrote for the entire series. So, massive praise there from that side and like to be fair to terry like well at least to us like he's actually he's written some fucking belters like you know oh yeah yeah there was a scene at the end that was cut that would have shown that davros survived being shot by the dalek and that was cut because they wanted to leave his fate ambiguous Mm. You're leaving the door open for him to come back, but not necessarily tying themselves to that if they didn't want to. Yeah. Originally, uh, the doctor was going to meet at the Time Lord in this like lush garden, um, but both David and Maloney and Philip Hinchcliffe didn't like the idea, so they changed it yeah. to be on the battlefield, which I think is very good. I think the way they did that is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It, it would be too jarring, I think, to go from lush garden to battlefield, you know? Mm. In part five, um, originally there was meant to be a lot more action in the Dalek incubator room. and It would have ended with the doctor's question of whether he had the right to destroy them. That was obviously changed up a little bit. Mm. The Thal soldiers were actually originally meant to be boys that were in 15 or 16. Just to you know, illustrate that it was the youth fighting in those wars. Yeah, because um, the doctor makes a point that it's like the Khaled's soldiers are very young for their age. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it, it's implied that the Thals would be the same, and like they talk about this whole idea of this war of attrition in reverse, and yeah. this generational fighting and stuff. But this was changed later on to make them appear a bit more mature. Um, so while they still are young, they're not teenagers; they're adults. One one thing that I found kind of interesting was that 
up and so we've had two prior depictions of the Thals. Hmm. So we had our very first one, which is like you know the hippie, yeah, the yeah. hip Thals, yeah. Then we had the Thals rebuilding their, I suppose, their society after hmm. hip Thals. Now we have them here in the war, and like I know that neither side is like you know presented in the best light. But for some reason, the Thals feel more like the aggressor. I think I think it's just by some of the interaction that the soldiers have with Sarah Jane, you know? Yeah, I mean... That'll be interesting when we get to talk about the characters, but like... Yeah. You have the Nazis... Yeah. ...versus the Thals. So, in that realm, are they... Are they more aggressive, no, no, really? Well, I think it's just... <laughs> I think it's, by, see, by virtue of the fact that... We only like okay. So if you take the scientific elite hmm. as its own separate entity, because like that's that's kind of what we see. Like we're told that the scientific elite are their own little hmm. sphere of stuff. The first episode, absolutely, you know, you get that whole fascist style, hmm. especially with uh, Raven. Hmm. But then, in, when we next see him, he's a lot more sedate because we get to see the ministers and we get to see. I suppose. Yeah, I think, I think I think the difference is that the military elite, mm-hmm. the military is kind of heavily influenced by the military elite. Yeah, who are still part of that bunker mm-hmm. group. So there is a lot of the fascism there. Yeah. Well, we can tell that their leaders don't feel that way. But similarly, the Thal leaders are also honest and kind and and whatever. So it's the thing of. Soldiers in war, do you know? Yeah, I think it's the common soldier type thing. Yeah. I think it was just like because again we're eating up so much time into the fucking uh, trivia, yeah. but it's by virtue of the fact of uh, like that Sarah Jane is like caught between the middle, like she serves one neither side nor the other. Yeah, that like we actually get to see yeah them at their best and at their worst, you know. Well, yeah, well we we also see it in the way that they treat the mutos as the, the mutos, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Sarah Jane, so uh, part three was actually meant to have a subplot where Sarah contracts radiation poisoning. Because obviously they make a big deal about the fact that there's this radiation and it would have sort of mirrored what happens in the Daleks. Um, mm. And that was cut. Um, I do find it interesting that like Sarah was clearly in there for like a day, mm-hmm. if not more, moving this stuff around. And we never hear about her being sick, even though like apparently it's a death sentence. Yeah. Um, there were three active Dalek props used in this story. You could probably count them. Very obvious there's only three of them. Uh, they were originals from the 1960s and they were repainted. And there was five dummy Daleks which couldn't be operated and they were just sort of placeholders. And again, in that scene where you have like all the Daleks in the room with Davros, you can kind of tell which ones are mm. operated and which ones are just placeholders. The reason why Davros exists mm. is because Terry found that writing... Dalek dialogue was boring and he felt that listening to Dalek speeches was kind of boring and annoying mm. <laughs> and so he felt they needed a spokesperson who could, because even though Davros does have a Dalek twang to him, shall we say, he does still talk like a normal person a lot he, of the time. He does and like I, like I it's um, a talking point for the character discussion I think. Yeah. A um, couple of other things, part two you, you sort of mentioned ends in a freeze frame Mm-hmm. This is the first freeze frame they ever used um, as an ending to an episode. Uh, it's the freeze frame when Sarah Jane falls from scaffolding. scaffolding. One of the reasons why they did that is, obviously, that's a bit of a drop. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they didn't drop 
someone from actual scaffolding, there's going to be a bit of a drop. And in rehearsals, Elizabeth Sladen had fallen 10 feet. Mm-hmm. But for the actual filming, they got a stunt double in for her, obviously, so she didn't hurt herself. But the stunt double was only falling 8 feet. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't actually look as good. <laughs> so instead, they decided to go with the freeze frame so that you wouldn't get this, like, falling for eight feet, which isn't that long. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Part three overran its 25-minute limit. Um, I you know, mentioned this before, but instead of editing out the material, the cliffhanger was changed from Davros's speech to the Doctor being electrocuted. Mm-hmm. The Do I Have the Right speech is probably one of the most known speeches of Classic Who. Mm. And particularly of Tom's era. Like that's yeah. that's Tom's speech. Mm. Um, and apparently he took it very seriously and he agonised over the dialogue, according to Elizabeth Slayton. Yeah, like it's oh, it's such a good speech and it's such a good scene. It is. Um, I have thoughts on it actually when we get to it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Oddly, oddly enough. <laughs> Random Sarah Jane outfit fact of the week. Mm. Sarah Jane randomly changes her clothes towards the end of the story. Which seems out of place because she seemed fine running around in her like culottes and high heels and her raincoat up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she changed into a really awesome hot looking camo outfit. <laughs> the reason for this is next week's story was filmed before this one. And in next week's story, that's the outfit she's wearing. Right. And so they had to find some way to get her into it. <laughs> mm. Because it picks up directly where this one leaves off. Mm. And so they had to make sure that Liz was wearing the same clothes <laughs> from one story to the next. Which is why she goes through this round. It's the same as the reason why they put on the weird, like, you know, rubber ducky yeah. yellow raincoat <laughs> at the end of Ark is because that's what they wore in that's what she wore in Sundaran. So it's, it's so interesting how like Sarah Jane changes clothes during a story because these stories are running directly one into another, hmm. and they need to make sure that she's wearing the same outfit at the end of one and at the beginning of another one. But yeah, random Sarah outfit fact. On to our cast. So, as Severin, we have Stephen Yardley. This is the first of two appearances for Stephen. We will see him again in Vengeance on Varos. His non-who credits include Zedkars, Harriet's Back in Town, The Brothers, Crown Court, A Tale of Two Cities, and Blake Seven. Garmin is played by Dennis Chinnery. This is the second of three Doctor Who appearances for Dennis. We previously saw him as Albert C. Richardson in The Chase. Who the hell is Albert C. Richardson in The Chase? <laughs> I need to double check because I saw this. This is the way it was listed and I just had to laugh at it. So I I had to make a note of it. Uh, one second. Uh, is he like one of the guys on the Marie Celeste sequence? Albert C. Richardson is listed in the cast. Oh, isn't listed in the story summary. <laughs> Let's see if the people picture. Yeah, he was the captain. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. F- fair enough. Oh, no. He was the first mate. He was the first mate. All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, and we'll see him again in The Twin Dilemma. His non who credits include Coronation Street, Crown Court, The Avengers, Dixon of Doc Green, and Zephyrs. In- interesting fact, or interesting. The Twin Dilemma mm. is routinely picked as the worst Doctor Who story of all time. 
So no, obviously that might change when we come to it. But it's yeah. interesting to see that he's in both the best and the <laughs> worst. <laughs> That'll be interesting when we get around to it. Yeah. Uh, Dennis passed away in 2012. Hmm. Cavill is played by Tom Georgeson. This is the first of two appearances for Tom. We'll see him again in Logopolis. Logopolis? How do you pronounce that word? I, I always call it Logopolis. Okay, Logopolis it is. His dungeon credits include Notes on a Scandal, A Fish Called Wanda, Bleak House, The One with Julian Anderson, Liverpool One, and Strike It Rich. Ronson is played by James Garbutt. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for James. His non-Who credits include Superman, When the Boat Comes In, The Aneedon Line, Coronation Street, The Manageress, and The Franchise Affair. James passed away back in 2020. Davros is played by Michael Wisher, as I've already mentioned. This is story number eight from Michael, including his uncredited voice work in The Seeds of Death. He was also in The Ambassadors of Death, Terror of the Autons, Carnival of Monsters, Frontier in Space, Planet of the Daleks, and Deaths of the Daleks. We will see or hear him again, sometimes both, uh, in Revenge of the Cybermen and also in Planet of Evil. Lastly, as Nider, we have Peter Miles. This is the final on-screen Doctor Who credit for Peter. We previously saw him in Doctor Who and the Silurians and also in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. One person that's in this but doesn't contribute a whole lot, the guy who plays General Raven, mm. he's in Allo Allo, uh, Guy Sinner. He's one of the the German officers yeah mm. uh, in it he's like the really campy one uh so like i, I just thought, like as i said for some reason i thought he played a much bigger part in this story but he's only in it for like less than five minutes altogether well yeah like he has two scenes yeah overall three i i, I have a question for you because we're not going to be discussing him as a whole right yeah no this the way that it happens is that the doctor is meeting the group of uh, Khaled ministers mm-hmm. and Margaret asks Raven are there any listening devices in the room and he says not that I'm aware of yeah. and then it like pans down to like uh, um, a fucking you know a model on the yeah. actual battlefield map and then it's the scene where Nida goes one of our spies is reported like I always assumed that Raven was the spy no okay Th- yeah. so if I remember correctly it zooms in on the Thal bunker, and then it cuts to the Thal bunker, and then neither yeah. mentions later that one of his spies would come. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, I don't think it's Raven. Hmm. Um, it's just some some asshole. Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah, some asshole. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Fuck you, some asshole. So, thank you for that trivia uh, section, as always. Yeah, a bit of a long one, but fuck it, I think it's justified. (laughs) So, we are into the character discussion now. So, we will be discussing the Doctor, the companions of Sarah Jane Harry. I have put Severin in Mm -hmm. because, okay. I would agree. The prominent characters I've put down as Garmin, Cavill, and Ronson, Mm -hmm. the the conspirators. And then the villains of Davros, Nider, and the Daleks themselves. Yep. Cool. They were in agreement <laughs> perfectly. I did copy from you what you had done, but I agreed with your placement of all of them. Okay, cool. <laughs> so um, I suppose we'll kick it off with the man himself, the Doctor. This is a fantastic performance by Tom. I think oh. I don't think there's anything that you can say that would take away from Tom's performance in this. 
I will uh, say one thing, right? Yeah. One. What you're going to say something? One. Oh no! Like, <laughs> the, like I think while he's great in all of it, mm. the pinnacle moment is the "Do I have the right speech?" So this is the thing, right? I have thoughts on the "Do I have the right speech?" Right? Yeah, because okay. I think the "Do I have the right speech?" is the quintessential doctor speech. So with previous doctors, that may have been a monologue. With Tom, obviously, he has Sergeant and Harry that are present with him. It is a quintessential speech because it speaks to the heart of who the doctor is and where his line is when mm. it comes to preserving life. Like the ultimate thing of do I have the right to wipe out an entire species mm. because of future events that they haven't even done yet? Right. However, mm-hmm. I think Terry completely undermined it in episode six. By him going back and... Him going back and being completely fucking blasé about doing the exact same plan that he was having all... This major internal struggle that he had. It's like, amazing scene by Tom. Fantastic. And, like, Ian Martyr says nothing, but is fabulous. Liz is fantastic. That's That scene is pinnacle for all three of those characters yeah, for different it is, reasons. It is fantastic. But then, <laughs> I feel, later I feel, on... I feel like we should have just discussed the characters and then discussed the scene. The scene yeah. <laughs> but then, later on... Um, mm. In part six, when mm. he has his coat back on and his hat back on, he, he somehow found his coat and hat, whatever. And he's just super fucking blasé, swanning out of the incubation room, getting everything together, getting ready to tie the cables together. And it's like, where is that conflict? Nothing has changed between the original scene and this one. Nothing has changed whatsoever. Well... I th- okay the core concept of his hesitation which mm. is do I have the right to erase the possible future right now you know because mm. it's it's an interesting concept like you always see like in these dystopian alternate histories which like you know, oh what if the Nazis won or mm. you don't like to my knowledge anyway to as my knowledge mm. you never see the only alternative history where I've seen where the Nazis weren't the thing was in the game the game series The Resistance that mm. deals with like an alien incursion on Earth. Mm. So, but like I've never seen anything like where it's like which is discussing like, oh what if the Nazis uh, don't rise to power or X Y and mm. Z you know it's all we're always kind of seeing things from the negative side of things. So when the Doctor points out like many he says that on one hand worlds that won't have anything to do with each other will become very staunch allies. Yeah. To fight the Daleks and to defend yeah. solar systems. And then he's like, billions of lives could grow up in peace and serenity and harmony without ever hearing mm-hmm. the word Dalek. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's a very interesting thing because, like, there's going to be an awful lot of analogies to fascism here, okay? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, oh, no, no, no. Like, okay, like, well, well, what's that look I'm for? I'm agreeing with everything oh, yeah. you're saying, but, like, it's but like I the... don't see how it's different by the yeah. end of the oh, story. Sorry. No. But, no, but see, like, it's, you know, like, people say, like, oh, like, would you, because he brings up the, the analogy of, like, would you kill you, baby Hitler? Would yeah. you kill baby Hitler? Like, it's all intents and purposes it's baby Hitler. Yeah. And it's like, okay, on on one hand, uh, and like, not to sound very blasé about it, you prevent the deaths of six million people from different ethnic backgrounds, primarily Jewish, but there was obviously, mm. you know, there was Poles, there was Gypsies, there was Romanians, there was disabled people, there was people of LGBTQ plus mm. identity. Like you save all those six million people. 
on the other side, if those people don't die, then unfortunately, like that event never happens, and a lot of progress for no, we still have progress to make, but a lot of stuff for civil rights, cultural rights, identity rights that doesn't get the same level of impact because we don't have these horrible things to witness, you mm-hmm. know. So, like. Yeah, like this, the, that that scene is fantastic in that regards. I think the only thing that possibly changes, and again, I don't see how it changes the argument in its entirety, is that he makes that decision after they watch all of Garmin's people be mown down. But that doesn't change anything. It doesn't. And this is this is this is my issue with that scene at the end. Is you had this fantastic. I mean, you explained it perfectly, right? And I was I was mm-hmm-ing along with you because waiting for you to get to a point where you maybe explain what changes. And the point is, yeah. Well, no, it was just does. your face was weird. Like you were like, mm, yeah, because like, yeah, Cheshire get, Cat. I was like, yeah, get to the point where you found something that I missed, where yeah. something crucial. To- yeah. What he said in that speech was perfect. It's the mm. perfect dilemma. Mm-hmm. And the point is, he was so torn up about it. Mm. so conflicted and yet by the end of the story where the Daleks are exactly the same they're exactly the same at the end as the Daleks that he knew from his timeline the exact same nothing has changed Mm. the Daleks in that incubation room haven't been changed since that original scene Mm. you know if it was a case of the original scene was before Davros tried to remove their compassion and stuff I would say something Hmm. If the original scene was in episode two and then where they were still just mutations and they weren't mm-hmm. inherently evil mm-hmm. and then you have that speech and then by the end when we know they're inherently evil, he's perfectly okay with it, I would understand. But they're the exact same Daleks in one scene as they are in another. The only way I can rationalize it is that it's a moment of it's a, it's a moment of emotion because he thanks Garmin. He says, I'm grateful to you more than you'll ever know. So I think what he did was he probably threw all of his you know, chips on Garmin. And then when he sees Garmin and all his guys being mown down, I, I think it's a purely emotional response. Yeah, I don't know. I just think personally, I and I've felt this for years, I think that scene at the end, I don't know if it was the way it was shot or it was the way Tom performed it. All of the conflict is missing. It seems very blasé. And it undermines the message that he had earlier. It's a kind of like a reverse sea devils type of scenario. Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> yeah. You know, where, like, where, where is this conflict that he had earlier? Mm. And even when the Dalek is coming toward, because it's the Dalek that ultimately does it. Yeah. But even when the Dalek is coming, Tom is still reaching to grab the what He's still trying to do it himself and like it's it's strange because like i've often said on the the podcast like that the doctor has like a reserves a special type of hatred or mm. loading for the daleks and when you see it transported uh, transferred onto other villains it, it mm. seems out of character and that speech like he's like you're here at the crossroads like i like the moral dilemma for your hated enemy, the one that you have all like this, like the very first doctor, you know, who'd said like, you know, even if I knew how to save you, I wouldn't, or mm. I don't, like, I don't think I would, I don't think I would, like all, all these interactions, it brings them to this point, to the fucking crossroads that will determine the future for trillions of lives. And he has this moment of doubt, and like, it's just a fantastic fucking sequence. Yeah, but it's undermined Yeah, yeah it's undermined at the end. It's, undermined it, it, the it's end. my thing of it with, like, you know, we'll talk in my overall if it takes from the story as a whole for me, but 
I just think like you had this perfect sequence. And yeah, you could have the doctor deciding, fuck, Garmin has lost. I need to go through with the original plan. And going back to that room. But have him being slower. Have him looking more resigned. Have him, you know, when he drops the thing on the floor, have him kind of hoping the Dalek will run over it. Mm-hmm. To save him from having to do it himself. Yeah. But the way they presented it was if you're like, oh, ho, ho, I'm going to blow up a load of Daleks. Um, which I think I don't mind this. Um, other than that, I think the rest of the story is also fantastic. I love the way he is with Harry in this one. And I've got a lot of thoughts on Harry that I'll get to when we talk about Harry. But hmm. you know, this story is not them being funny. And from pretty much the offset when Harry stands by him with the mine, hmm. we can see the doctor working well with the Navy surgeon lieutenant. Like they work yeah. so well together. There's no mm. making fun of Harry no. in this story. Um it's very serious mm-hmm. and it's treated as such. Which I think is one of the things that Tom does quite well. We kind of mentioned it before. When Tom is serious, he's serious. Mm-hmm. It's there's an awful lot of I just think gallows humor. Yeah. Yeah. His heartbreak at thinking that Sarah and Harry died in the missile strike is devastating. His relief when he finds out they're okay, that sort of like quick hug that he gives to Sarah Jane, where she doesn't have a chance to hug him back, she's got smashed into his chest and smashed back out again. Mm. And he's conceding to Davros's demands to prevent them being from being hurt more. All of that is absolutely fantastic. I think, Mm. you know, for me, you know, we've talked before about like your amazing performances. I mean, this has to be Mm. on everyone's list for Tom. No, I haven't seen the rest of his stories. Mm. I've seen some of them, but like this one has to be on people's list. So how about you? So like we've talked a little bit about the speech, um, but what do you think? uh, A, do you have more thoughts on the speech? And B, what do you think of the character overall? Um, Like, I think I've pretty much gotten everything I wanted because like it's, because when he brings, as I said, the analogy of the young dictator or the young possibly to be dictator or to be mm. dictator it does bring it brings up the very interesting concept of the removal of someone like what the absence of a person's uh, contributions to history be they good bad or indifferent mm. what changes like everyone kind of says you know like oh what happens if jfk isn't assassinated it's like maybe there isn't as much progress as, as is made you know mm. maybe conflicts uh, you know the, i think people say that the vietnam war wouldn't, wouldn't be a thing that's like you don't know but you don't know what other conflicts might arise or what comes in to fill the gap and it's it was, it's always the interesting thing with time travel which is like you know something's predetermined something else happens to sorry click the pen uh yeah. something happens to like to kind of fill the void but in terms of the doctor's actual performance everything about it is it's it's fantastic like mm. tom's performance here is fantastic his one-on-one talks with Davros are really good. Mm. Like the sequence there, which is, you know, he's prepared to turn off his life support system. Yeah. You know, it's great. Um, the gallows humor moment like that, he was like, we better not tell Harry. He went to it first, you know, that just, uh, but as yeah. Like, the look um, on Sarah's face where she's like, what? yeah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, 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 the thought of having lost them, you know, mm. um, 
then the the joining with them again and it's like i i i like his sequences with uh betten i mm. i like that um no i think it's i don't know what more you can say <laughs> like it's just mm. a really really solid performance you know actually a random fact i left out of the trivia betten was originally meant to be a man which would have made sarah jane the only female character in the entire story mm. I don't think it matters that Betten is a woman. It, it doesn't really play into the story in any way. It actually reminds me of a very interesting thing, which is like, um, Garmin says that we will ha- uh, we will have to try and rebuild our society. Okay. Mm. One thing I noticed is that there isn't a single female member within, in that bunker. So it's like, yeah. how are you planning on doing this, lads? However, I, I also get the feeling that there are more people in that bunker than oh, we see. Uh, no, oh, they, yeah. At one point they said, we have 80%. Yeah, 80% of 12 people <laughs> like that's yeah. a weird way of presenting that number oh no there's obviously more people off screen but like, we, like we're never presented with a female yeah uh, and so like I think having the future of like the Thal resistance movement be spearheaded by by Betten I, I, I think it works I think I think, I think, it, I think it works too um, yeah. it, it just is interesting that there was a possibility of this being yet another story where Sarah Jane is the only female character yeah. <laughs> So, do you want to do Harry or Sarah Jane next? I don't mind. Up to you. I think Sarah Jane. Okay. Um, so, thoughts that I had on her here was, you were worried about her taking a backseat to the boys. I was worried about her about her being segregated away from them. Yeah. Not necessarily I, taking the backseat, but being constantly separated. So, we have that for... About half the story where she's mm-hmm. separated, but we're back to the days of the the, the fabulous foursome, which is when you mm-hmm. take them away, their their story helps drive. Yep. So, like, she leads a prison break. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> I will say that that the sequence where she's like has to go from the scaffolding to the rocket, the camera angle does that no favors. It's like a if the gap looks like it's about half a foot. Yeah, but imagine it's a half a foot gap. Yeah. Where if you put your foot wrong, you're falling a hundred feet to yeah, the ground. True. Um Yeah, that that's true. I think what they maybe if they shot uh, as someone who has issues with like heights, heights. And, yeah. and like vertical and stuff. I, I, I totally feel her pain there. Oh, yeah. I I just think for like, you know, if they had shot the camera angle maybe from underneath the gap. It might be a mm. bit different because then it gives the perspective of the drop. Yeah. But and like it's just her general defiance and her never give up attitude, you know? Mm. There's like when she's trapped outside the bunker, like her immediately thing is like to look for a fucking weapon to defend herself, and then she marches off into the 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 fog to try and find a way to get in. Mm. Um much like as like I said, uh I'll be t- discussing with Harry as well. I think one of her key moments is her role in the do I have the right speech? Mm. And she's not the devil on the shoulder. She's the voice of the majority of people who would be, who would maybe, who would maybe make the snap decision to touch the wires to get her to blow it up because you're, because it's the whole thing of like, you know, the Daleks, you know, they're evil, they're horrible. She's met them. She knows the, Mm. the, the stakes of it. Um, and like that's why she's going from her past experience, and like the doctor poses the question more so to her, 
But then again, I think it's because she's more on camera frame than Harry is at that point mm. in time about the it, would you kill the child? Yeah. And she dodges it because she dodges she, it in a good way, though. She, no, no, she does. She does. But see, the thing is, she goes, we're talking about the Daleks. And I think why it's such a, I won't say why it's such a good dodge. But see, a child is something that she can visualize in her head. She can visualize a one-on-one interaction with. After just saving him from one of them, the Daleks are this almost shapeless, genderless, strange entity. Thank you. It's just, it's just, it's a fucking jellyfish, and she. I don't think she can empathize with that. I have a different read on that. Okay. um, Which is because she says herself. If it was a bacteria, you wouldn't hesitate. Yeah. The Daleks are not a natural evolution. They no. were created by Davros. Yeah. And, you know, what is sentient life and stuff like that? That's a whole different conversation. Hmm. But Sarah's argument here is it's an experiment. Hmm. They were created in a lab. You know, it's not like a child who was born naturally into the world and mm. who you know will grow up and be affected by its own experiences and its own values and learned behaviors and mm. experienced behaviors and whatever this is a artificially created species that were created to be evil mm. so i think it's i think part of it could be the fact that if she dodges the question on like don't even fucking ask me that question like that's mm. you know no one ever wants to answer the would you kill baby Hitler question unless you're Deadpool. Um, <laughs> but I think she she addresses it from the point of view that I think a lot of fans would look at. You know, in the context of the story, that's what the Daleks are. They yeah. are an experiment. They are... Like, these aren't people hmm. who were altered to look like the final form. No. They were cells in a lab. Grown, incubated. Grown and incubated for one specific purpose. Mm. So that's where I think Sarah dodges the question really well because she she hands it back to him kind of being like, there is a difference between would you kill baby Hitler, which is would you kill an innocent child who has done nothing wrong? Yeah. Versus Um, would you end an experiment in its infancy? And like, see, this is is the beauty of it is, is that that's why I said that she's not the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. Neither of them are wrong in what they're in their because that's the thing. It's like absolutely they're um you know they're a created life form you mm. know with a sole purpose to be evil. And his counter argument then is like think of all the stuff, the progress, and all mm. this that would be lost because they won't be there. So they both have very understandable viewpoints. And mm. then you put your like you have to try and put yourself in that scenario. And you're like. Fuck! I don't actually know what I do, you know. Yeah, but I think I think the doctor does a really good example of that later on with Davros, where he's like, "If you had a bacteria, yeah, would you unleash the bacteria? Mm-hmm. No, you'd get rid of it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the way Sarah sees the Daleks, particularly mm-hmm. in this story, mm-hmm. because in this story, that's what they are. And so it's an interesting thing of the doctors obviously look at this future impact and stuff like that, and Sarah's looking from a from a different point of view and maybe it's because she hasn't lived that future the way that he has yeah that she can you know she has a couple of experiences with them but she can speak to what you know what she knows in the here in the, in the here and now isn't like in the context of the story 
Kind of like, it, it, no, like I, I, I was going to say like it's kind of like the third doctor and the ice warriors, but that's it's a completely different kettle of fish. I think. No, again, because, you have the idea of a naturally evolving species with its yeah. own thoughts and beliefs and morals and you know cultural expectations and whatever versus an experiment. Yeah, no, because I was going to say because of the whole um profiling aspect of mm. it but it's no it's a complete it is a completely different scenario which is why i was going to say like, yeah. which is why i said no no it's not the same again had this speech come earlier before yeah. davros had removed the bit that makes them um em- empathetic empathetic it gives them a conscience yeah had he not removed had this come before their conscience was removed or before at least the talk of their conscience being removed had happened mm-hmm. um then it would probably ring a little bit differently yeah. Because you're like you're denying them the potential to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything else to add on Sarah? No, other than the fact like that she's just she's really good in the story. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think one one of the clear signs that because I remember like the first time I watched the story years ago, I was like, oh my god, like you know, Sarah's off on her own, and the Doctor and Harry don't mention her mm-hmm. until they have the opportunity to actually escape, which. Mm-hmm. When I saw it years ago, I thought like, "Oh no, this is another fucking, it's another fucking ambassador's death." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it isn't in that it's different here because they're prisoners. Mm-hmm. Why would they mention her? Yeah, they know that she can, for the most part, take care of herself. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Uh, a couple of notes I had was at the beginning, right, Sarah? If you don't want to be followed. Maybe ditch the canary yellow raincoat. You have a lovely grey sweater on underneath. Mm. Which would help camouflage you a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking canary yellow raincoat you're wearing. I also think her coming to after the two boys go into the bunker. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that? Again, this is a case of us sort of imagining ourselves in the reality. Can you imagine that? She wakes up wearing a face mask with a dead body on top of her. Mm Mm-hmm. That is, she is surrounded. She walks on dead bodies. Mm-hmm. That is terrifying. A sign, though, that Sarah's part in this story is where a lot of the action lies is the fact that she got the first two cliffhangers. Yeah. The first two cliffhangers are Sarah meeting the Mutos and Sarah's drop from the scaffolding. Well, okay, because like in the version that I watched, the the any of the cliffhanger is her. Well, it's her and, watching the her, it's her yeah. watching the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. So we get to see the story progress through her yeah. cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I remember it wrong. You're right. So, yeah. but it's Sarah has the first cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Sarah has the second cliffhanger, mm-hmm. um, which really so tells like you know just because she's separate from the Doctor, she's still to your point. She's still driving the plot. Mm-hmm. Also, Sarah is the lady with the plans, right? So. Mm-hmm. I hadn't realized it until this watched it. I've seen this story a lot. Um, <laughs> I hadn't realized it until last night that when Sarah and Harry are captured mm-hmm. and they're um, put in a cell and then yeah. Cavill comes along and knocks out the guard. Yeah. And then later on, Nider brings the doctor back and Harry is dressed as the guard. Mm. Harry, when Nider gets away, bear in mind that Harry looked like he was about to shoot him. We'll mm-hmm. get to that in a minute. Um, Harry turns around and says, "Not exactly to plan, Sarah," which makes it sound like that was Sarah's plan. 
Yeah, because... Cavill broke them out. And Sarah's plan was, well, the doctor's going to be brought here. Harry, you impersonate the guard. So we can grab the doctor. Yeah, because like if it was Harry's plan, he would have kind of he would might would have said like, oh well, that didn't work or yeah, it's just the way he said it. I was like, yeah, Hold on, was that Sarah's plan? Nice yeah. lady mm-hmm. with Sarah is a good lady with a plan. In fairness, mm-hmm. lady, <laughs> I think her her contributions to the second half of the story are different than her contributions in the first half. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like in the first half, you know, she's leading a you know prison break and. She's getting Muto's and Khaled's to work together mm. <laughs> to a singular purpose. And obviously in the second half, you know, it's much more, it's actually all three of them kind of observing what's happening for the most part. Um, her standing up to the interrogation is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think her part of the do I have the right is phenomenal. Yeah, it's particularly phenomenal when you consider that. From my perspective, I watched Stolen Planet and Journey's End, mm-hmm. where Davros comes back, mm-hmm. and Sarah Jane sees the Daleks for the first time since this point in time. Yeah, and it's like thirty years later plus. Well, well, no, well, um, because I'm, I'm the same. Because I didn't start my classic journey until like properly hmm. until uh, waters of mars came out yeah so so i think it's very interesting when you if you've watched the revival first you know davros yeah. makes the point davros recognizes her yeah and davros makes the point of like you were there at the very beginning of my creation hmm. and you know, it's just kind of a throwaway line in that story if you don't know this one and then when you come back and watch this one you're like Oh fuck it, she was there. Hmm. And she wanted to stop it. And I have read a lot of fan fiction hmm. that takes place um in Journey's End, where it's basically Sarah turning to the doctor at one point and being like, I fucking told you back then. Hmm. I told you back then to stop it. Spoilers, Dad Ross comes back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spoilers if you haven't watched yeah, any of the yeah. revival era. Yeah. Yeah, I think you told me about one or two of those. I've actually I've actually seen one or two people kind of um, bring up the, the suggestion like that. Does the doctor do his later incarnations hate his fourth incarnation every time afterwards when they encounter the Daleks? I think not because I don't think the doctor linger. I think the doctor probably lingers on the fact that he did still destroy the incubation room. Mm-hmm. I, where a lot of the Sarah's saying I told you so stuff is that he should have destroyed it earlier. Yeah. And what could have been avoided had he destroyed the room mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. But overall, it is a great Sarah story um, and she ends in a new change of clothes. Mm-hmm. In which she looks very good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I know I'm a complete perv. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> First it was Ian's ass. Now it's Sarah Jane in her different outfits. Have you seen Sarah Jane's ass in those, in those camera pants? I have seen her ass in different stuff before, yes. <laughs> uh, cool. And so I suppose Harry next. This story is Harry Sullivan, the soldier. Yeah. 110%. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say he's heartless or cruel. Not by a long shot. No. He knows what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And is both willing and able to do it. Whether that's physically fighting, whether mm-hmm. that's shooting somebody, holding a gun on someone, or whether it's prepping the explosive charges. 
the way Ian the way Ian was in this entire story for me is fantastic but mm-hmm. the way he was in that scene mm-hmm. where he's you know where Sarah's like what's taking the doctor so long and he's just focusing so much on the wiring yeah he, says, like, he knows an, exactly what he's doing it's not an easy job he says yeah he knows exactly what he's doing and we can tell he's become so much more disheveled as the story has progressed hmm. you know the shirt is now more open at the collar and just the look he gets on his face is this look of I can't believe we're doing this well, like, but we see, have to but like for him like he's in a in his time I suppose in his personal timeline he's now in a a parallel conflict to one that was 30 years beforehand that maybe yeah. members of his family would have served in the Briggs family unit member family yeah. would have served like so he's in this thing which I suppose a lot of his generation are thankful is fucking gone that they didn't have to serve in it because of the stories they heard mm. and now he's in the story yeah he gets such a dark look on his face during the do I have the right speech because Harry says nothing during the do I have the right speech I have like my own personal kind of headcanon or thought mm. on that is the reason he doesn't say anything is because mm. in, because he's having his own internal conflict because you have the soldier mm. and the doctor. Mm. The so the soldier understands what needs to be done. The doctor, on the other hand, is faced with his part in, in, as far as his understanding goes. His part in assisting genocide yeah i think as well one of the things i get from the look on harry's face and the reason why he says nothing is i kind of get the sense of he's like this is an incredible decision to make it's Mm -hmm. insane thank god it's not me yeah thank god i'm not the one who has to make this choice because remember i said like we wonder if the hippocratic oath would come up and i think i think for me anyway this is that it's the it's the soldier versus the hippocratic oath that he swore as a yeah. medical officer I, th- I think it's the closest we're going to i think it's close yeah. we've gotten to that yeah. um but yeah. like harry in this story like he you know but like he is full-on soldier mm-hmm. in the story I miss Happy Harry. But whenever we get to the end of the story, I always miss Happy Harry and I want Happy Harry back. Yeah. <laughs> Even his one bit where he gets his foot stuck in the clam thing. Yeah. His screams of pain. Mm. And the fact that even later on, he's like, why is it always me that puts my foot in that? Yeah. Like, it's not a Happy Harry moment. It's not a, like, mm. oh, Harry, you fucking idiot. Yeah. It's this terrifying experience. Like, kudos to Ian Martyr because he plays both sides of Harry brilliantly he does and like i love at the start because like especially with the the landmine sequence Mm. it's like beneath the old boy club jacket exterior it's like there there is a soldier there's a man with nerves of steel like in this like the doctor tells harry to get back and he's like no and he risks his own life by trying to steady the mine which could go off at any moment even though like it's as i said the trigger like the doctor hasn't stepped on the trigger mechanism but it's still unstable mm. and landmines can be very depending on what make they are can be very temperamental fuckers so like that that's a great sequence and i would say that he's more prevalent in the first half of the story mm. obviously because he's but 
as the story goes on, he's like, and his role becomes, or his presence becomes less, he's far from superfluous when Sarah Jane mm. goes back into it. It's equal footing for everyone throughout. And mm. uh, like, I, I love, I love Ian Martyr's performance in this. It's so good. Mm. And then I suppose, we have, oh, gone? Yeah, I was going to say, and now we have the person that didn't have to fucking bear witness to that speech. <laughs> so, yeah, we Severin. Severin. Um, yeah. Severin is... He's kind of like a lot of the gentle giant characters we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's probably done the best yeah. of the gentle giant characters we've seen. And we've seen the gentle giant character a few times. Um, maybe because Severin has his own agency. Um, yeah. Severin is clearly not a violent person. And we get that mm-hmm. from his very first like interaction where he's like, why do we always have to destroy things that are beautiful? Mm-hmm. Like, why is the law of the mutos that normies must die? Why? Yeah. Why is that a thing? Why can't we mm-hmm. like? Why can't we just embrace beauty or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he works to protect Sarah from that moment onwards is fantastic, because it's not just protecting a damsel in distress. Mm. He clearly, you know, holds her in good esteem because, like, with the whole like jailbreak thing and everything, you know, she's climbing, she's climbing that with the rest of them. Mm. It was her idea, and I think he holds a great level of respect for her, which is great to see. Um, and we also see with him that like he's willing to work with Khalids to escape from the Thals. He's willing to work with Thals to defeat the Daleks. This man just wants peace. Yeah, that's all he wants. Like, like initially, okay, like when he comments about her beauty and things like that, mm. you can potentially start off with the opinion that the only reason he looks after her is because of his like you know obsession like not obsession like, but maybe an attraction to her mm. or whatever my read of it is is that the reason he wants to keep her safe is he knows that she's not Tal or Khaled mm. so why should she have to die in someone else's war yeah so like it, it's this whole thing of protecting the innocent protecting the fragile protecting the the beauty of it so like i think sarah represents an ideal as well as being a person yeah i I think sarah for severin is this idea of quote-unquote normal life Mm. so far apart from the war between the thals and the khalids do you know like she doesn't dress like them she clearly isn't one of them but she hasn't had to suffer through the after effects of their war either mm. you know like he is a peaceful person but he bears witness to what the others have done like I, it's not very clear but like um he's got a bit of a club foot and his hands are a bit weird um he doesn't quite have um, lobster lobster claws or lobster claws but he has like and he doesn't quite have uh future suntaran hands Mm-hmm. Um, but he clearly has uh, combined digits yeah. um, in his hands and stuff. Um, I just like Severin overall, really. Yeah. Do you know? Good old Severin. Anything else you wanted to add on Severin? No, I. I think that's pretty much everything. It was just like he's he's the he's an ideology made come to life. I think. Mm. So speaking of ideologies and whatnot, yes. we have the prominent characters of the anti Davros conspiratorial faction. So we have said we have Garman, Cavill, and Ronson. Who do you want to do first? 
Maybe start off with the the first person to go, which would be Ronson. Yeah. What do you think about Ronson? Um, so, I like the fact that it's refreshing to see another scientist that's fearful of the ramifications of Davros's work. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, and obviously if we're talking about like fascism or Nazi allegories here, like, you know, he's a representative of those people that were serving their country and not the ideology. He's a he's a shrewd customer, like the whole thing of Cavill coming over, like you know about the prisoners. He's like, I don't know what you mean. He plays everything close to the chest because of the environment that they're in. Mm. He's a he doesn't take anything at face value. He's a smart fucker. I like that, and it's sad that he dies. Yeah, and it's to be used as a scapegoat then as well. Like you know, he was the traitor. He betrayed our people. It's like to to the unswayed, you know. Mm. Can you imagine how hard it is for Cavill and Garment to say, come over to our faction, you know, whereas, like, you know, oh, but Ronson was a friend of yours. Ronson betrayed our people, like, trying to fucking... Because, like, Davros is essentially... He is the Hitler in this scenario. Yeah. Like, so trying to sway... Go against his word, which is so firmly established at that point. I don't envy them. But, I know, I like the character of Ronson because he's not a cruel person. No, I, the thing I like about Ronson is that, like, he's not cruel, like... Hmm. He doesn't like. He was originally just questioning them at his desk. Yeah. What's this? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get it? Yeah. You know, he is a natural scientist. Yeah. Do you know? And he doesn't just take things at face value. <laughs> if something twigs in him that something is wrong, he will investigate it. <laughs> Do you know? He knows that, um, the doctor and Harry aren't. Thals or Kalas, they're not from Scarrow. Hmm. Okay, well, this shakes things up a little bit. I mean, Davros said there was no life outside of Scarrow, mm-hmm. but here I have evidence to the contrary. Okay, well, let's hmm. let's go with this. And his immediate reaction to the Dalek and to the very idea of it um, is very very interesting mm-hmm. because it sort of shows that. You know, yes, he is part of this elite, and yes, he's part of this terrible war, but he didn't start it. He's not pushing it forward in any way. Mm. He's just a scientist doing his job. Yeah. And he has a conscience and he listens to it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was very sad. I think it was very sad to see Ronson die. I was very sad to see him go out the way he did. Mm-hmm. And. I think that, unfortunately, the way the character is set up, you kind of know that he's not going to make it through to the end. Sure, um, yeah. Just from the initial interactions that he has with Davros when he tries to save the Doctor and Harry. Mm-hmm. But it's still sad to see him go. Yeah. Do you know? Oh, no, absolutely. And then there's Cavill. I think Cavill is the smartest of the anti-Davros faction. I'd agree. Um... He does not draw attention to himself. He is careful what he says and he does not trust easily. These are all the things you need to successfully arrange a coup. Mm -hmm. And they're the things that we'll get to a second. Garmin isn't great at. Um, And the thing with Cavill is that like he does, Cavill doesn't draw attention to himself. No. Do you know? No one ever suspects Cavill. 
mm-hmm. until he is outed by somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably he's the best suited to be part of the coup, but he's also in many ways the least effective because he is protecting himself so much. Yeah. He doesn't like, take the risks the others do. And that's the thing, like I would I wanted to see that from him, like because clearly himself and Ronson were friends. Mm. And he knows just how far Davros is is willing to take things. He knows what Davros is like. Mm. And I think after seeing what happened to Ronson, coupled with Garmin's I'm, like I'll say no ineffective approach to the, to the situation. Mm. I think Cavill probably should have been a bit more vocal. Yeah. Because if he had been a bit more vocal, the outcome would have been very different, I think. Yeah. I think Cavill, you know, was working behind the scenes for a long time and whatever, mm-hmm. but I think he did too much to protect himself. Yeah. And perhaps th- not enough to protect others. Yeah, we think in this what is it? It's the nature of, I suppose, being a spy, if you think about mm. it, like you know, when you work in the shadows, it's very hard to bring yourself into the light type scenario. Yeah. And then we have Garmin. Garmin is a great public speaker. Mm. I can totally see him getting a lot of people on his side, but oh, sweet suffering Jesus is the man an idiot. Yeah. Like, he's, <laughs> he's such a disappointment <laughs> because, like, you're, you get the impression that he's going to be a fan, uh, he's a great leader, mm. you know, because of how he, well, he rallies people to him. Mm. But as the story progresses, you realize that this, this ideology that he has, it blinds him to the realities of the situation there that, that they're in. Yeah. So as cruel as this statement might sound, to me, he's just as responsible for the death of the anti-Davros faction is as Davros himself is. Oh yeah, I mean like Garmin's there's a moment in the story where I'm like, what the fuck was that about? Mm. Right, so it's himself and two of the lads in white. Yeah. And they're coming down the corridor and they're going to clearly attack some of the soldiers. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, violence is a last resort. Mm -hmm. And in the end, one of the scientists shoots one of the guards who's running away. Mm Mm-hmm. And Garmin lambasts the man. I was like, what a waste. What did you do that for? Turns, opens a cupboard, takes out two machine guns, Hmm. and says, distribute these to our men. Mm -hmm. Either you're willing to kill people to get what you want, Garmin, or you're not. You can't give out to a guy for shooting someone who was going to run away and report you while in... Well, he was going to run away and report you for trying to steal weapons. Wait, no, he, he it wasn't the guy that was running away that he was going to shoot, wasn't it? The guy that was going to shoot his buddy, yeah, it was something that like, I mean, yeah, like, so there was a legit then, reason to shoot which is, that guy, which is, which is even worse in the sense of like, and like, okay, you have and a Garmin himself, despite his uniform because he's in mm. black, he says he's a scientist, he is the scientific, the military scientific, scientific elite, yeah, so he's part of the military component the same as NIDER is, yeah. But he is also a scientist. Yeah. So, like, but the, the other two lads are just scientists. Mm. So, in this struggle, one of the scientists sees his friend about to be shot, and he shoots the soldier. Mm. 
you can't blame a guy that isn't a soldier for fucking panic reacting. Also, you're you were attacking that soldier in the first place to steal weapons to mm. give to everybody else. And when the scene cuts, we can hear those weapons being used. Yeah. Like, were you just expecting the guys in white to just stand there and be killed? It's just such a weird hypocritical thing. Mm. Like, you do feel bad for him, though, because as stupid as the man is, mm-hmm. like, the way he gets played by Nider is just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Garmin was one of Davros's top men. Mm-hmm. He was clearly a top man on the Dalek project. Surely he knows how close Nider and Davros are. The idea that Nider would turn against Davros is ridiculous mm-hmm. to the extreme and should always be treated with like a barrel load of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I feel bad for the end because he does show what the leader of the elite should have been. Mm-hmm. Someone who wants peace, but not at the cost of conscience. Because yeah. that's garmin's thing he's like look we have built terrible things to end this war but we cannot lose our conscience do you know there has to be a line and even if sometimes we step over the line we have to at least acknowledge that it's there and like and that's the thing is like if (laughs) that right there okay it's Mm. the thing is davros is a he's a fucking he's um He's a megalomaniac dictator mm. and he has shown nothing to contradict that. Yeah. And if you're on a boat, you know, we have to, you know, fucking make up for the sins of the past or if we have mm. to acknowledge our crimes, this is an instant where you can add to that tally and fucking criminal about it again later because mm. you're on a boat. He's like, oh, his great scientific acumen. He's like, ah, okay, fair enough. But the man is a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Also, like, you know, Garmin won't push the big red button, which I love is just a big giant red button. Yeah. Garmin won't push the big red button. He's like, you know, we will continue the Dalek project, but as it was originally intended, dude, scrap the current batch and start and, over. And that was that's part of his ultimatum at one point. He's like going, the the ones currently in use are to be destroyed. He's like going, this button serves that fucking purpose. Yeah, so just... he's he's a bit of a he's a bit of a hypocrite and yeah. He's a bit weak-willed. He has all the ideology and potential, hmm. but he doesn't have the brains to back it up. No, he does. He's 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 blinded by his ideology. Yeah, very much so. And I suppose now we have the villains. Mm-hmm. So we have Davros, Snyder, and the Daleks. Now. Even though they're in their infancy here, I would say, will we do neither Davros Daleks or neither Daleks Davros? Mm, neither Daleks Davros. Okay. Neither is an interesting character to me anyway, right? Because mm. he is unwaveringly loyal to Davros, okay? Mm. But oddly enough, and no, this isn't to excuse him, but he never espouses the whole extermination mantra that we've heard Davros use or even Raven use because he was like our battle cry will be the extermination of the Tal race you know mm. I was like, but we never hear neither espouse that but he, it's interesting that he, he doesn't need to espouse it to be a completely fucking evil prick yeah uh, he makes me feel so uneasy every time he's there and like oh the actor does such a fucking good job every time I've every time he's been there and he's been in three, two other stories. 
two mm. other stories and like because we said look there was Silurians which we fucking loved and mm. there was Invasion which actually you know, wasn't actually as bad as we remembered it mm. being but yeah Peter Miles sorry I couldn't remember his name um, he, he just makes you so uncomfortable every time he's on screen he's so untrustworthy he makes you feel kind of dirty yeah that's it it's like oh, oh, I need yeah. a shower um, and I also like as well like that his mind is constantly working it's constantly mm. figuring out the angles and he is a constant challenge for the heroes like even when you know they have him captured and mm. he brings him down to the to Davros's office I'm like nah I'm sorry there's something going to happen like yeah. he's he, uh, he's he, there's always an ace in, up the sleeve one of the most interesting things for me about Nidor is from the very moment you see Nidor and Davros interacting mm-hmm you are constantly waiting for Nidor to shoot Davros in the back. Really? I was anyway. Not because he agrees with Garmin, not because he agrees with the Thals, but because he wants the power that Davros wields. Hmm. I kind of get the sense that, like, had Nidor survived, there would have come a point where we would have seen, like, a Hannibal situation where Nidor just pushes him off a cliff. Yeah. It's like, you've done all of this work to set up this amazing, like, super race or whatever. Thank you very much. Now, fuck off, you absolute psychopath. Because, like, neither, like, neither, there are moments where he looks conflicted about what Davros is doing. The fact that Davros destroyed the Khaled people by giving the Thals the formula. Hmm. Like, neither's career, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, okay, I will stay on this train for as long as it suits my purposes. But as soon as it's done, dude, you're falling down a hole and not being able to get back up. I think one thing that supports that, like, now that I think about it, is the doctor pointing out that Davros relies on Nidor for a lot of physical activity. Mm. But, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time for another sponge bath. <laughs> uh, but the other thing that it just keeps coming to my mind when I think of uh, Davros is like you know that uh, expression: "It's better to be seated at the right hand of the devil than in his path." Mm. And it's like that. That's what I kind of get is uh, from Nidor. It's like a case of as long as I pay attention to or you count out to him or follow him, I'm golden. Yeah, because uh, as far as far as yeah. the society is concerned. No one better than Davros. Mm. Oh yeah, but like I sort of had this like vision of like an alternative ending to this story where mm. the Doctor destroys the Daleks, like, the Dalek incubation room or whatever, mm. and you know you've Davros and Nider sort of watching on as the Doctor is about to disappear. He sort of says to Nider, "If you were to push him, no one would blame you." <laughs> yeah, you know, like that bit in Hannibal where Hannibal says it to um. Mason Berger's assistant. Yeah. In the book, it was his sister, but in, in the movie, it's his yeah. assistant. Um, you know, toss him in. You can always say that I did it. Yeah. And I can see if neither had that option being like, I can off him and someone else will take the credit and I get all the power that he once had. Mm-hmm. I can see him taking it. Um, but with all that said, though, like, Garmin, you utter dink. Like, <laughs> what made you think that the creepy, the second creepiest man on your planet could be trusted? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, 
like it's it's not even like that neither is that convincing. He's not no, he's, he's, he's not really convincing not. The, he's not convincing in the slightest. It's like <laughs> Oh god. And so the Daleks. These Daleks are probably the most interesting Daleks for me that we've mm. seen in a long time because they are the first. Yeah. And we see them go from this oh, purely like, like they even say they're voice controlled. Yeah, they're like, I've tried to. They're like a physical AI almost at the beginning they, of the story. They they kind of remind you of like the reimagined versions of the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, um, do you know? And it's they go from being that to at the end turning on. Davros. And I remember the first time I watched this and I saw them turn on Davros, it was chilling. Oh, it's it's done so well. That, this that idea scene. of like, you're not one of us, so no, we're not going to do what you say. And like, that is so interesting as the building block of who the Daleks become. I find it way more interesting than, to be honest, the majority of the other stuff we've seen with them. But like, one thing that what this one actually really I don't know I wouldn't necessarily remind me because it's been a while since I watched the story but what it made me realize is that they always like okay they talk about Genesis of the Daleks and the Daleks being a complete oh sorry Daleks themselves being a metaphor for fascism and Nazis Mm. Genesis of the Daleks is actually it's a it's an alleg or analogy allegory, whatever buzzword mm-hmm. I want to fucking throw out there, for nearly every single movement or ideology or religion or whatever that exists today, mm-hmm. in the sense of the supporters, the message gets diluted over time, mm-hmm. and the modern supporters would completely fucking, ha- you know, like a great example of this is the Westboro Baptist Church. Yes. The, the to me no I'm no longer practicing but I, I keep practicing Catholic not practicing member of the Baptist Baptist Church but like to me the core message of Christianity was love one another mm-hmm. you know, as I loved you so basically be good to each other okay don't be a dick yeah don't don't be a dick but you have the Westboro Baptist Church which is like you know God hates members of the LGBT community God hates you know American soldiers all this type of shit and it's like so by that rationale and, and they say, oh, anyone that supports that is just as bad as them. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, an enabler or an idolater or whatever. So it's like, so if Jesus came back and landed right in front of you, to him, like to, to them, he's no different than the fucking people that they hate at the moment because he's espousing, you know, love yeah. one another. And like, that's what it is, 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 you know, the Daleks, which is like, you know, Davros is their creator. Absolutely. Davros is the one that gave them their mission. Davros basically builds his own downfall because you know nothing is superior to the Daleks. Well, you're not a Dalek. No, he's not. No, and and it's it's such a wonderful thing because like there's so much stuff going around, and it's like it's. I I also kind of use the thing of the Westboro Baptist Church, which is the founder of that church, Fred Phelps. Mm. Um, the church excommunicated him <laughs> because he started having he started uh having a bit more of a, a relationship with members of the lgbt community he did outreach and this kind of stuff so the excommunication so the founder of their fucking group 
they kicked out because he no longer believed in the ideology he once espoused. So it gets fucking and like and he up until that point he was the fucking be all and end all of shit. So I that I that's why I love that final sequence because mm. it's so good and it's we'll actually see it again yeah. revisited later on down the line, which is the constant dilution of what the message or the reinterpretation of what the message was to suit the fucking it's a very perverted whole thing of like of a good yeah it's a it's a perverted rationale which is that here is your mission statement but as the time goes on the mission statement gets fucking reimagined or whatever as or taken too literally or taken too literally or whatever the case may be Hmm. so Oh god, this this fucking story is so good because of <laughs> oh, the stuff that it just brings up. So yeah, and like, but like, see, and there's nothing else to discuss in terms of Daleks because Daleks no. be Daleks. Yeah. But it's like them. I am interested in how these Daleks mm-hmm. were entombed for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. The toxic wasteland expanded, mm-hmm. and we had this petrified wasteland which the first doctor and susan and ian and barbara find themselves in and somehow these daleks evolved to the point where they could build a city which is great but they went backwards in terms of being able to move on rock mm-hmm. <laughs> they had to do the whole like yeah bumper car I <laughs> electric think... movement no spoiler no this is gonna be the last we see the daleks for a couple of years mm. uh in terms of story wise you know, for us yeah. it'll probably be next year i can't remember the, the the story number but but another another interesting thing is it actually you know because like sometimes they did talk about you know oh, change the continuity of the show or the canon mm. of the show changes over time first time we ever meet the daleks we're told that the two groups were the thals yeah. and the dals yeah so obviously the thousand years the story changes Khaled's, no, Khaled's, Daleks, Daleks, Dals, 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 and Dals, that kind of thing. So, like, yeah, it's a dilution of stuff. Um, I've only seen the next Dalek story once, so mm. I actually can't remember if they try and explain the but this, regression. This is the thing. Like, in, technically, in terms of timeline of the planet Scarrow, mm-hmm. it goes Genesis of the Daleks, the Daleks, mm-hmm. and then Planet of the Daleks. <laughs> This is trying like trying to explain like why technology in the prequel Star Wars trilogy seems so much better than the like original trilogy. Yeah. It's like oh well, like no, it's a complete you know fucking clamped out on everything. So yeah. but that's yeah. technically the order that those three stories go: it goes Genesis yeah. of the Daleks to the Daleks yeah. to Planet of the Daleks. Daleks. Yeah. Um, but speaking oh. of the non-Dalek, mm-hmm. so question for you: Does it look like he's giving you the finger? Yeah, yeah. That was the first thing I, I've thought this about Davros forever. It is the first thing I wrote down in my notes. Is it just me or is Davros's chair constantly giving everyone behind him the middle finger? So to explain to people, right, Davros's chair is a metal back, and it has one it up until it reaches the shoulder blade region. Yeah. It's a complete metal plate, mm-hmm. but then when it goes up, it follows the spinal column up as a single plate, but then the rest of it laps over the shoulders. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a fucking middle finger to everyone walking behind him. Which <laughs> <laughs> walking your fuck, eat my dust, bitches. Uh, but yeah, um, no, I, I have I have had the exact same thing about Dalek about Davros's chair for years, and I can't not see it every time he turns around. <laughs> 
So my next question to you is, now that we've finally met the insane genius behind the deadly assembly of kitchen utensils, Mm. what are your thoughts on him? On them or on him? On him, sorry. On him, yeah. Davros is such an interesting character because Mm -hmm. Davros is part of the elite. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get the sense that Davros is kind of where the elite started separating itself from standard Khaled society. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get that sense from Garmin and Ronson. Oh, like you, you, I would even go so far as to say that he is the one that founded the elite. Like not yeah. just he's a member of it; he is the elite. Yeah, but elite, or if he didn't found it, then he's the one who took it on its current trajectory. Trajectory, yeah. Okay, yeah. I could bear in mind this war has been going on for hundreds of years, right? So he took it on its current trajectory, and you get the sense that he is the one who espoused for the purity of the Khaled race. Mm-hmm. A purity that he himself does not fit in. Do you know? He is disabled mm-hmm. severely. Mm-hmm. He lives by a um a life support system. Mm-hmm. He's blind. Mm-hmm. As in, I know later stories do something, with, but it looks like he doesn't have any eyes. You know, like the. Um... <sighs> I can't the blue remember. thing, I don't know if the blue thing is meant to be his eye. I think I think it's meant to be his eye. But yeah. up until a certain story, Dalek, Davros's whole depiction is that his eyes are fused or sealed shut. Yeah. There's a big finish to the series called I, Davros. I think it's four volumes long. Mm. And I think that's meant to be the origin. Yeah. I must listen to it because I, I am fascinated to know more about him. Yeah. So you have, you have this guy who does not fit in with the societal norm. Mm-hmm. He's not a Muto, though. Like, no one no. refers to him as a Muto, even though, given the way they described the Mutos, you kind of think they would. Mm. Mind, I'm not saying any of this is right, by the way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, like, the Thals and the Khalids have a major ableism thing going on. Yeah. That is not right in the slightest. But I'm just saying that in the future that Davros is trying to espouse amongst the Khalids, Davros himself doesn't fit. So he comes up with an experiment Mm-hmm. to show what they'll all become mm-hmm. and it really comes comes through comes through as this sort of um the meek shall inherit you know yeah you you know you laughed at me or you thought i wasn't worth much because i was in a wheelchair and i can't see and blah blah, blah but i'm the best scientific mind you had and in the end that's what you're going to look like and i can change that to be whatever the fuck i want it to be talk about like a perversion of an ideology (laughs) yeah but actually interesting kind of point you know uh you were saying there about like how he's not a representative of the thing that he's espousing uh going back to the nazi thing the whole blonde hair blue-eyed powerful aryan a fucking two two plus mustache dark-haired you know fucking lad that looked like a strong breeze would blow him over yeah now granted that was from effects of him serving as a soldier in world war one but Despite the, you know, the fact that he looked nothing like Christ Almighty, his inner circle, the majority of them didn't look a thing like the fucking people that he would say that we should look like. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like that is a very interesting thing of you have the the outcast, you know, coming mm. up and becoming the most powerful scientist, and then creating this race of super outcasts almost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, that he's pure fucking evil. He is pure evil, and we get mm. that not only from the fact that he created the Daleks, right? But we get it from the Doctor's theoretical question. 
You hold in your hand a vial of a bacterium or a mm-hmm. virus that could wipe out the entire population. Yeah. All it would take is for you to squeeze your fingers together mm. and it's released. Would you do it? And the doctor is expecting him to say no. Yeah. And what does he say? He Such goes a- off on the, into his own little world. Yeah, such a power would put me above the gods. Yes, yeah. yes, I would do it. Yeah, and he's like, you, sir, are crazy as a fucking fruit loop. But again, like the thing with Jefferson, it makes me wonder, like, what was his idea for this new world? So he's killed off all the Thals. He's killed most of the Khalids. Also being convinced, you know, at least initially, that there's no life anywhere other than Scarrow. What exactly was he planning? Oh, it, it the whole thing is peace through subjugation. That That's what he was... Peace of... With whom? You've destroyed everybody. Yeah. There is nobody left. And therefore the universe will be at peace. Um, <laughs> and Davros is one of those terrifying people though where because Davros is clearly crazy as a bag of cats. Mm-hmm. But he's also able to keep people on his side. Oh, people see. like Nider. Like, you know, I said that I was waiting for Nider to shoot Davros in the back. Mm. Other than the fact that Nider can reach tall places yeah, and Davros can't. Mm-hmm. Davros has no use whatsoever for Nider or any of those other scientists that came over to him. He clearly had no intention of keeping them alive. And his whole thing about have pity on them was yeah. such a fucking piece of shit. Mm. You don't mean that, you bollocks. But but even it's like the thing like where the doctor talks to the ministers and he's like, he'll be responsible for this horrible fucking thing. And then when they rock up, he's like, absolutely, please take all the time you need. You know, just let me do this. And say. He's so fucking charismatic when he speaks normally. Yeah. And then the Dalek speech just sort of like triggers yeah. in like some weird form of Tourette's or something. But yeah, I think Davros is a... Like, Davros makes Daleks interesting. Mm. And like, this is the thing that is well, like, I'd want, I want to know like, the, the, in, the hysterical, insane Dalek, you know, speech, you know, you will mm. obey, you all that kind of stuff. Like, was that there the whole time? Or was it only starting to appear the closer to the realization of the Dalek project was coming along? Mm. Like, because if like if that was there the whole time, lads, there's fucking warning signs here. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like, it's crazy that no one tried to out him before that point. Which do you think is the more intimidating version, the hysterical fucking kind of shrieking one, or the soft spoken? I think the soft-spoken one, because the soft-spoken yeah. one has, like, five other different things that he's doing in his head. Yeah. Like, when he... The whole thing with the tapping of the hand. Mm-hmm. That was so mental. Because mm-hmm. for years I've watched the story, and I've watched what the fuck... Is he was tapping his hand to count the time mm-hmm. that it would take for the dialects to get back from the Thal base. Mm-hmm. So he's just tapping away, waiting. And bear in mind, any movement of his hand whatsoever can take considerable effort. Mm-hmm. So he's tapping his hand, and Nidor's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you putting up with this? And he's like, just wait. And he just ta- I was like, was he counting time in his head to be like, cool, how much longer? It's been probably, five minutes. Probably was, yeah. It's been time. It's like, the fact that when he's silent, mm-hmm. he's doing multiple things at once in his mind is terrifying. Mm-hmm. The Tourette's Dalek speak, it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah but that's only because i've watched alex for years <laughs> yeah no the, the soft-spoken version is the more intimidating one absolutely 
there, there's so many like things with Davros in this that I again I'm gonna jump the timeline massively here because we've said for my first story that I ever watched was Stolen Mountain Journey's End. <laughs> there's so much more I would have wanted to see from Davros's interaction with Sarah Jane in that story, mm. knowing what happened in this one. Mm. Which is why fan fiction exists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like it, like that's not the short sell that the interaction between oh no in, in journey's end like there's a reason i went back yeah like this episode this story mm. this meeting of sarah jane and davros more mm. so than the doctor and davros this meeting of sarah jane and davros is the reason i watched classic doctor who this was it yeah this, this, this exact moment is the reason why i went back mm-hmm. which and uh, it was very good yeah, which I think, yeah, we mentioned when we appeared on Dan and Paul's Half Measures mm. podcast oh, oh so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah like every, every time I discuss, um, so every time Genesis comes up in a discussion thing or whatever, I immediately have to watch my favorite scene from Journey's End, which yeah. is the there's a message coming through. And just seeing that everyone's reaction is just fucking amazing. It's so good. It's yeah, so, no, so good. Mine is like, you know, that face. Yeah. I know it from somewhere. Yeah. It's like, uh, you were there in Scar in the very beginning of my career. She's like, yeah, Sarah Jane Smith, remember? And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, to be discussed at, in, at, <laughs> in the future. In the far flung future. <laughs> <laughs> So we have come to the beginning. No, sorry, the end of the beginning. That's what it is. End of the <laughs> beginning. So as always, we'll give our story, um, our give the story our thoughts and score it a five. Uh, I think you went last week, or did I go last week? I think you went. Paul kind of he didn't make fun of us, but he, he mentioned this in their podcast this week. Yeah, I know. They, they he, used he, he told, yeah, first he, first. yeah, he told, yeah, he said, I got, I stole something. I'm like, I'm yeah. pretty sure we've stolen shit from you over, <laughs> over the last two years. So it's fine. Um, I don't remember. I think you went first. Um, yeah, no, I remember I, I went first last week. So yeah, it's up to you. Cool. So we've said before that this story is regularly selected as the best of the classic era. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I am not the biggest fan of six-part stories. I've mm-hmm. made this very clear. Mm-hmm. I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> because I watch them in one go. <laughs> yeah. The pacing is good. The story mm-hmm. is good. The mythology of the Daleks is actually fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. The use of the companions is good. The Doctor's speech is good. The special effects are good. Everything about this story is good. Not only is it good, it's great. The Do I Have the Right speech is fantastic. Sarah leading a fucking jailbreak Mm. is phenomenal. Harry being, being the other side of Harry. Ian's performance in that was phenomenal. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal. Is it my only negative in the entire story? Is that fucking bit in episode six that undermines the do I have the right speech? Is the only thing in the story that irritates me. Mm. 
And I've gone on long enough about why it bothers me. Does that take away from my overall enjoyment of the story, though? No. Mm. No, it does not. I loved the story the first time I saw it. I've loved it every time since. I think this is probably... I wouldn't say it's the classic story I've watched the most. That is Planet of Evil. Mm-hmm. But this is probably the next in line mm-hmm. for stories I've watched the most. And there's a reason why. And I never skip. I never fast forward. I watch it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. The story for me is a 5 out of 5. Cool. Have Interesting. So I remember previous times I watched this, I thought it kind of, I, I thought it kind of dragged for some reason. Hmm. Now, it might be just that I was tired when I was watching it or whatever the case may be. But this time around, though, like I don't see how it drags. Like, hmm. I, I, like, again, one episode a night, I kept wanting to watch more. I kept wanting to see what happens because the pacing was so fucking good. When it comes to origin stories, um, sometimes it's better to leave stuff in mystery. You know, mm. for example, like your know, great, as you know, a good example of this would be John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. They made a prequel to that. I really wish they fucking hadn't <laughs> because it's my personal opinion. It's terrible. I mentioned <laughs> Hannibal earlier. Hannibal Rising. Piece of shit. Yep. I so much so I didn't. I just read the books. I didn't bother read. Uh, I didn't bother watching Hannibal Rising because don't. It's, yeah, it, it's pretty much just the flashback sequences from the Hannibal book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but this isn't one of those times. Mm. This is, this, this is, this is, to, to uh, an example that I would give, this is Rogue One quality. Like, fucking Rogue One is a great movie, you know, mm. it's a great, it's a great fucking prequel. Um, like, this is part Terminator and part Frankenstein. In the sense of the creation turning on the creator. Mm. Now, Frankenstein's a small bit different, but it deals with the concept Mm. of um, the creator building something and then it it coming back to bite him in the ass. Mm. But throughout it all, it's a 100% Doctor Who. It's a 100% Doctor Who story. Um, Like, performances by everyone are brilliant. Michael Wisher is so, so good. Same with, Peter, same with Peter Miles as Nider. Like, mm. th- that combination is amazing. They're, re- they're really, really good. They are I, so good, I actually struggle to see them as other characters. Yeah, absolutely. They're almost he, too good as Davros and Nider that when I've seen them in other stories, mm-hmm. I'm like, what's Nider doing? <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I watched this before I watched Silurians and before, obviously before I watched uh, invasion of the dinosaurs mm. so automatically i can't trust peter miles <laughs> i i just can't you know yeah it's like when you see christopher lee in something i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> you're you're like you're definitely not on the side of the angels but i've often said that when an actor's face is impeded mm. when they actually make you see the performance through the makeup and this mm. is like um, Carl Urban and Dread. It's like Kevin Lindsay as mm. uh, Lynx and Steyer. Uh To an extent, it's Hugo Weaving in um, V for Vendetta. Yep. Uh, here, Michael Wisher 
the top half of the the prosthetic doesn't move, but mm. you can see every fur of the brow, every cons- the whole the speech, as you said, like you know, you know, to have that power in my hand. The only thing that's fucking moving is his hand, but you can see, you can feel the emotion coming through it. His performance is stellar. That not to, uh, not to overshadow like uh, Liz Sladen and uh, Ian Martyrs. They're phenomenal in it. The supporting cast hit all their right notes. The only detractor for me, initially, prior to you bringing up the Doctor's Hypocrisy, the only detractor, I think, was just Garment's stupidity. But it adds to the story because... In the na- it's the nature of a prequel slash origin story. You know the bad thing is fucking coming. Yeah. And you're screaming at the television screen, don't make the fucking mistake. Yeah, it's, Stop it's it. like the Star Wars prequels when they're treating Anakin like shit and you're like, Stop Stop doing that. Stop but, doing that. <laughs> but 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 it's it's not even that like you're know, like fucking prequels, order sixty six. You keep hoping that fucking he won't turn on Mace Windu, but he fucking does. And it's like, yeah. no, because order sixty six happens and then we're subjected to the psychological fucking torment of seeing all these beloved characters die at the hands of other beloved characters. Um But yeah, so it's a five out of five because again, critical analysis has fucking just unearthed so many other things about this story that like it was a fantastic story to begin with it's an even better story now with all the stuff that i've realized that goes on in the background yeah i think i another one that you know, you, you made the mention of, of rogue one there a while ago i think rogue one really is the perfect example of you want them to get off the planet yeah but you know these are characters we never heard mentioned ever before yeah, absolutely. Which and, means they and, clearly don't. And like, it's one of my fucking problems when I see, when I heard people give me oh, there isn't enough character development. It's like, there doesn't need to be. Like, it's a suicide mission. Yeah. So like, and plus, there's enough development of the characters there that fucking Cherish and the, his buddy, whose name he's the only person of the fucking group I cannot remember. Case oh. um, no. Uh, no, I'm go- I'm going to look this up now because I refuse to go off the air and fucking. <laughs> Uh, not give this guy his fucking due diligence, but um, Baze, Baze, Baze. I knew it was something A's. Yeah, yeah. but like, th- like th- those two guys, they have an- the- for the limited time they're there. There's enough fucking character development to make you feel emotionally invested. And yeah. That's the thing. Small screen time. I was emotionally invested in every single one of those characters, like mm. to the extent of their death hit every single fucking one of them. And I and I knew you could see the deaths coming a mile away. They still fucking hit hard. So. Yeah. It's just saying here, here though, like, I mean, we know that the Daleks are going to win. We know that win, they're going essentially, to... in the grand scheme of things. But, oh, my God, do you want the fouls to succeed? We know some yeah. of the fouls survive, but, like, yeah. the Khaled's never get mentioned ever again. No. Do you know? And, oh, there's there's so much that you want to see happen. In, in a sense, I'm really glad we didn't get to see any more Khaled's because if we did the ramifications of their deaths mm. it, like like jesus we talked about the massacre characters yeah. like that were really interesting and that story doesn't exist anymore so we don't we don't see their deaths on screen but we fucking hear it yeah. and that is horrible but even like you know you're talking about like things that we've realized like by the fact that this is a prequel to like the second story ever yeah. mm-hmm. um is you know the the whole idea of the the fucking radiation mm-hmm. the 
you know, the beasts that live in the water that killed fucking half the foul group that was going on the mission with Ian and Barbara. There's something there. Those are clearly things that came from Davros's cave of shite. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly like. <laughs> Those clams survived. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they bred. And yeah. That's just scary. Um but yeah, no, I think this is from like to give it some some context, right? This season is currently a four point eight one. <laughs> with the lowest scoring story being last week's Suntaran experiment. With the four point five and a four point two five, like this season is one banger of a season. Yeah, and you know I made the comment like back when we were doing Time Warrior that like I don't want to give all of Sarah Jane's story the five out of five because she's my favorite character, but like her run on the show was good. Hmm. Tom's introduction, like for an opening season of a Doctor, they set him up massively to succeed. There is no question of the Doctor's character in these first four stories. But like I was, th- I was thinking in terms of like we we talked about like our how the ratings that we've given episodes it might be a poor reflection. Like, mm. like I don't think I've liked an entire season. Well, we still have one more episode to go. Mm. But like, I remember with I enjoy parts of the Space Museum, but I love season two. I love yeah. William Hartnell's second season. Like, yeah. you know? So, and granted, like, there's parts of that fucking thing that I I have negative scores given because of story decisions. Mm. But in terms of, like, the performances and everything, I love that season. So yeah. here, it's a case of just because the fucking score is higher on average doesn't mm. mean I don't love that season any less. Yeah. But we'll have to see. Does mm-hmm. season 12 stick the landing? Because next week, we have... A story where we see do the TARDIS crew make it back to the TARDIS? Do they make it back to Space Station Nerva in Revenge of the Cybermen? I wonder who the villain is going to be next week. Hmm. <laughs> it's Vira. Vira's got off the reservation completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So until then guys. Bye. bye. <laughs>